This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeff and Terry. The gang's all here. You'll be swell. <laughs> Happy uh, Tuesday morning to you. You were waiting for me to sing. I was waiting. I know. It just made your day. Whenever I break into a little vibrato, I always have to look at you and see how you respond. And that usually, my vibrato brings on your vibrato. It's a beautiful thing. It's just a match made in choir heaven. Got a great show today. We got uh, so much to we, we've got to be talking about. Holy cow. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but um, uh, Roy Moore's, uh, you know, he's still running. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he could win it. He could Maybe. win it. Well, yeah. Now he's got the president backing him. He's got uh, the Republican uh, senator or national committee now is, is coming to his aid, giving him some funds, I guess. Does the president's stamp of approval carry much clout? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He invigorates his peeps. In the Alabama area. Yep, there's a peep tweet. Um, so they're all they're all gung ho. But again, this is really because they need they need votes. The president needs votes. So my fear is, what is he saying to all of these women that have been allegedly um, hurt or harmed or abused years ago by Roy Moore? Those are allegations, right? Well, he's either saying that they're not true or that's – you know, this takes precedence. Yeah. The yeah. election is the most important thing, that we get a Republican elected. And I just – I don't like that thinking, that you – that it all – it's it, – we need the votes, so who cares what the person did? That to me is just crazy thinking. America first, Matt. Exactly, which Can is you- why we should vote by values. And not just these positions. Right? Think, think of the country over the individual. America first. And can we not forgive somebody for something they did 30 years ago, allegedly? Well, yeah, unless it was a felony multiple times. Then, there's yeah, by the way, in forgiveness, of, we can forgive the soul, but right. somebody needs to. And at some point, you have to kind of admit to something to yeah. be forgiven for it. And, you know, we only have to forgive them 77 times. So wh- times what are seven. we up to? What are we 77 up to so far? times 7, isn't it? No, it's 70 times 7. Oh, you're yeah. right. Yeah. So, so it's so we got a lot of forgiving. Let me do the math. But uh, anyway. Uh, 49. <laughs> yeah, don't even worry about the number. 499, 490 I think times. it's more symbolic <laughs> than an so actual I'll, I'll figure out online how many forgivenesses we've given them or how many yeah. times we've because this is the problem is that it just gets muddied and mu- – in fact, uh, Nancy Pelosi made a really big point about this that – oh, no. It was Diane Feinstein made a point about this. that It just keeps getting muddied. Everything just gets – we have a new story every day and he just keeps stirring the pot so it gets muddier and, and crazier. But you know, then they get Paul Manafort in prison – or not in prison, right. but they get him charged. Well, he's in house arrest. Then, yeah. Then, they, then he gets bail Apparently by posting $11 million in property. He's co-authoring or ghostwriting op-eds in his defense. Now so he's in trouble. So they're trying to stop yeah. him from doing that. So he may lose his bail because he's out – yeah, you can't work with Russians on, on opinion pieces. <laughs> and um, yeah. he violated maybe his bail. So now they're all after Paul Manafort again. He's not supposed to do anything in relations to the media. No. 
and he's out there trying well, to or write the Russians, well, or the Russians, and yeah. he's trying to write an op, or you know, an opinion piece supporting him to help him in his sentencing process. It's hard. Oh, it's hard. It's hard to know what to do anymore. Hmm. Do I write the opinion piece with the Russian spy or do I not? Ah. Decision, decision. And what's the quality of the house arrest if he's able to make these kind of contacts? Well, apparently when you put down $11 million Mm. in backing up the fact that you won't flee – Hmm. You're free to. He, oh, he wasn't even on house arrest giving him, up a, your, anymore. Your three passports. Yeah, yeah. But Should, I, I shouldn't think, you have one? Well, how do you have three? I've well, got two. You want to explain that? Not really. Don't okay. you have one identity? Yeah, you think. So if you yeah. have two more, are those yeah. your identity, or are they assumed? Maybe they're personalities. He he has. Okay. I mean, a lot of people have multiple personalities. So he. Something's going on there, but he was, yeah. I bet, apparently he was he was he was about to be allowed to fly anywhere he wanted to. Oh wow! And so I don't think his house arrest was as house arresty as it seemed. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> he even was losing. I think I think he didn't even have his uh, bracelet, his little his uh, ankle anklet, bracelet, his anklet. <laughs> he wasn't getting the butter knife, trying to yeah. butter up his ankle, no. and hmm. not working like that anymore. So Roy Moore stays in the news. Uh, President Trump was in Utah. And basically, with the with the just signature of a pen, undid two um, monuments. Well, shrunk literally two monuments. Yep. Uh, Escalante, what was it? Grand staircase. Grand staircase Escalante, Escalante and Bears, Bears ears. ears. Boom. Uh, one from President Clinton. One from President um, Obama. By the way, didn't apparently worry about any monuments from President Bush, <laughs> but shrunk some of these, um, and then. You know, left the state, but got got a lot of applause and cheer. I mean, a lot of people in the West don't like you coming in messing with the land, which apparently a lot of Democratic presidents don't understand. <laughs> so the Republican president went in and fixed that. So life's good. Uh, travel ban. The Supreme Court looks like they're going to finally uphold the third version of President Trump's travel ban. That's all good news. Mm. I mean, I don't know if it's good news or not. I don't even understand it. it depends on your point of view. I mean, he had to write the travel ban three different times. Well, he didn't. Well, his peeps. Yeah. And it added a bunch of other countries to make it look like it was more less of a Muslim ban. Yeah, they threw North Korea and I think Venezuela in North there. Korea and only like certain leaders, families in Venezuela. Oh, OK, good. So it was selective. And there was one other group that that wasn't I think like it a was, Muslim country. I think it was Hawaii. And that's actually a state. But you know, people but it's often a Democrat, make that. It's a very democratic state. People often make that mistake. Oh, they, they're it's not so on far the out there. Band. They get forgotten sometimes. I, I'm going to go visit them. By the way, we have uh, a, a wonderful listener. I got news of one of our li- listeners in Arkansas or hmm. Arkansas. Listens Ar- to the show, loves it. Can't the, get enough the, of it. The trucker? Nope. Well, you just called it Arkansas. Well, that's how. That's just. No, it's my Kansas. <laughs> That might be offensive. You don't know. Yeah. You got to check with him first. <laughs> Is it a him? Yeah. Okay. I was just assuming. I don't yeah. know why. Well, sexist. Yeah. Well, Whatever. that's been proven. Okay. Let's get to the headlines. Uh, what else is going on around the news that we should be paying attention to? U.S. Representative John Conyers Jr. has decided not to seek re-election. The New York Times report, the longest serving member of the House of Representatives, has faced a wave of sexual harassment allegations by former employees including a new one just Monday. 
Oh, no, really? Yeah, that one happened in a church. It's not uh, resigning. He's going to retire, says the 29-year-old Ian Conyers, a Michigan state senator and the grandson of Conyers' brother. Oh, wow. His doctor advised him that the rigor of another campaign would be too much for him just in terms of his health. The younger Conyers plans to run for the seat. The elder Conyers is expected to announce the decision in a Tuesday press conference. He has denied all claims of sexual misconduct, except there's some payouts and some other problems. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great if you could get out of any scandal with a doctor's note? That would be. I've got hives. I got to bow out of this one. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You could claim anxiety and get out of everything. Yeah. Roy Moore could claim restless leg syndrome. There you go. Which is why oh, he had to chase people around the worst. The mall. <laughs> I had to keep moving. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled Monday that President Trump's travel ban can be enforced in full for six Muslim-majority countries in order to supplant a June compromise that allowed the enforcement of an earlier version of the ban but exempted people with a, quote, bona fide U.S. connection. The new order comes amid ongoing legal challenges. So this yes. is still in the courts, but they let it go forward. Wow. We'll see how that works. He, the ban, if you see, that's a great testament of, that if you just keep rewriting it. Stick to itiveness? Stick to itiveness, you'll eventually get your ban through. How about this one? No? How about this one? No? How about, okay. How about, uh, what do you need us to add to make us keep this? Uh, the Republican National Committee is jumping back into the Alabama Senate election on behalf of Roy Moore. The news was first reported by Breitbart. The decision by the committee to put money and staff behind the Moore campaign comes hours after President Donald Trump formally endorsed the Senate candidate who has been accused by multiple women of uh, sexual misconduct following the malls. A a new woman, one of the accusers, I believe, found um, a note that he had written her after her graduation. Yeah, handwritten note, little card. She was trying to, you know, decorate her uh, house for Christmas. Uh It was in in all that stuff. They apparently had dated and and had a a consensual kiss. But she was 17 or 18? I think she was was still underage, but it was consensual. But um, anyway, because the age of consent is different there. But one of the things about that is it it just shows that he actually did know these girls. He kept saying he didn't know anything about any of these young women. But and there's one of them that in the when he had the interview with Sean Hannity, yeah, he says I knew her. I don't remember the exact events. And then now he's saying he doesn't know any of these women. Don't know any of them. His people are saying the women that are accusing him of um, sexual assault. Those are the women he doesn't know. Okay, well, that's good to clarify. Well, we talk about on the show often how we can't even remember what we did over the weekend. Yeah. I and mean, this was 30 years ago. Right. What's the, I mean, what? Supposed to remember everything? No, just past abuse issues. I remember hmm. girls chasing. that I've kissed, though. I'm sure they remember, too. Yeah. <laughs> They're still getting... Never mind. A, a party committee uh, normally follows the directives of its leader, but the RNC decision signals a remarkable reversal for the committee. The RNC has been hypercritical of Democrats for any ties they had to men facing sexual harassment allegations, having pressed lawmakers to return cam- <clears throat> excuse me, campaign contributions from, among others, Harvey Weinstein. Mm. And after the first allegations emerged against Moore, the RNC did eventually cut off its own fundraising ties with the Moore campaign, but they restored him because, you know, President uh, Trump called him up and said, go get him, Roy. And some, sometimes... That's a we, quote, by the way. <laughs> Not yeah, the girls. Right. Don't get them. No. But one of the things we, we'll have to address at some point is this is impacting people's willingness to say that they associate with the values of the Republican Party now. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people are not feeling like they're a part of a, the a GOP anymore. 
because they, this doesn't represent who we are. So it's funny. It obviously was politically savvy to distance themselves. So they all jumped on the board and ran away, hoping that he would just fizzle out and die. Right. And he didn't. And now, because they need a vote, they're all jumping back on board. But what's the long-term ramifications of not listening to women who are saying that they've been abused, especially with the Me Too world right now, where so many people are on board saying, Me Too. So I think the GOP is going to regret this decision. Fun little video out there with uh, comedian John Oliver talking with Dustin Hoffman. Oh, really? There was a, uh, they had a, like a, panel discussion uh, celebrating a, uh, I forget what the movie was or TV show that Dustin Hoffman was, but it's the 30th anniversary. They're at this film institute. They're supposed to be talking about that. And then it gets off into Dustin Hoffman's uh, situation where he was accused of making inappropriate oh, comments. No. Wow. And John Oliver expressing, the way you apologize for that didn't seem like you truly understood why it was wrong. And then it just went on for seven straight minutes of, and Dustin Hoffman wouldn't let it go. And John Oliver kept saying, I understand what you're saying. I just don't believe you understand what you're saying. You know? Yeah. And as he, Hoffman would say wow. a comment, and the crowd would be like, whoa, come on. Come on. Come on, man. Come on, Dustin. Wow, you can't that just went say that. sideways. So you can see that video. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, it is you're, fun. You're going to want to look that up. Uh, and finally, this one uh, kept me uh, laughing yesterday. Uh, extreme Barbie Jeep Racing. Come again? Extreme Barbie Jeep Racing. Hold on, is this is this real Jeeps? No, they're the toy ones, the those sort Jeep. of power yeah, wheels. Yeah, yeah. Your little kid gets in them. Okay. Um, this group, you can type in type in Barbie Jeep Racing. There's all sorts of videos. I put one up on our uh, on our Twitter account. Grown men yeah. in these plastic cars with helmets on, trying to race down a hill, and then they they flip. Oh boy! And they're just racing and crashing and. It's funny Holy as cow. you're watching these these gentlemen do this. It says racing too often devolves into a war of equipment, not a test of skill. Cast off kids' toys are everywhere, though, and accessible to the common man. There will be no F1 style bickering over revenue distribution and budget caps here. It's even uh, fine to giggle at Barbie Jeep Racing's low light reels. The biggest injury seems to be a scraped elbow. Some competitors get chased down the hill by their cars or have wheels fall off their car. They beat them over as they come across the finish line. They get hit by the rest of their car following them yeah, down yeah. there. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah, not, also, let's not forget the people who just pick up a chunk of the car and run over the finish line. <laughs> there's, oh, yeah. there's one video where a guy is coming down the hill and the, the actual seat he's sitting in pops out of the car. He grabs the seat and like stumbles across the the line, but it's really quite a fun well, thing to kill some time with. It's it's one of those races where you have to wear a neck brace. <laughs> Anytime you have to wear a neck brace, and then this guy's helmet pops off, and he's just sitting up against a hay bale, and luckily he's got his neck brace but on. Still. As you're watching the video, look how many people are watching. There's so many people there. And by the way, where are all the shirt sleeves? It seems like every one of these people lost their shirt sleeves. Well, there's that. Oh, this is crazy. And they, they don't make the track. Oh, luckily there's big piles of rock in yes. the middle of the track. They don't smooth this thing out. It's full of all sorts of potholes and stuff. They want people to flip and 
hit their heads, basically. Holy so uh, I got this off uh, Jalopalink, which is a car, like you know, Jalopy, well, Jalopalink. Jeff used to have a Jalopalink. So uh, they, the, the staff there got an email from the group that runs this event, and that's called uh, Rednecks with Paychecks. <laughs> We're out of Texas. We've actually had um, a couple of their events featured on our show. Yeah, for some reason, we really like Rednecks with but Paychecks. They do some, uh, there were some monster truck things we were talking about. Uh, they got in touch with the uh, the website. They said their next event's coming up uh, over spring break, March 15th through the 18th. Wow. If you'd like to uh, RSVP That's for weird that, they, that it's associated with spring break. Yeah. And the Ides of March. That's who, Brute. Bless you. <laughs> um, I just thought that was kind of a funny video. Wow. Okay, because I was going to suggest another video oh. for your son. Oh, okay. Have you I, I seen? I think he'd enjoy this one. Well, I think he would too, but I don't know that I'd let him see it. Why? Do you think he'd try it? Just the audience. Hmm. The crowd is. The oh oh here's one apparently without <laughs> oh this is the no clothing they are they're wearing what are you shorts. watching? No 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 he's got like Ouch. a he's got like a full like uh, it's a it's a suit it's like a full head to toe suit he's wearing. No 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 these are these guys are going skins. And um, he just crashed without his shirt on, and that left a mark. Yeah. He's got a scraped elbow. No, He's but fine. for your son, what yeah. I was saying oh, okay. is you. there is Thomas the Train. I'll, what about the Avengers trailer? He's already seen it, but... No, 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 no. no okay, no. go ahead. No, Thomas don't even, the Train. You don't need to go see the Avengers things. Um, Thomas the Train has a, uh, what's it called? A stunt video where a guy took his Thomas the Train set... Oh, and did stunts okay. with Thomas the Train, nice. where they jump rivers with the train. <laughs> okay. Hey, you know, they did they did stunts with Thomas the Train in the film Ant-Man, which is also a Marvel movie. It is true. Did they really? Yeah, they did. It's one of the funniest parts of the movie. Well, you're going to want to see this. So we'll, we'll post this on our Twitter feed as well, um, because if you like Thomas the Train or if you have children, my kids all grew up before Thomas the Train. Oh, yeah. My kids were all into Barney, the purple uh, dinosaur. And um, why did I think you, I prefer Thomas. Hold on. Why did you say it that way? Are like, you okay? That's kind of rude. But the Thomas the Train stunt video, um, intense stunts, jumping gaps, um, like, <laughs> like bridges. Like a, like a quarter-inch gap. Riding a rail. I mean, doing a – Well, now that yeah. was impressive. So check it out on our on our Twitter feed at Dr. Matt Show. You're going to want to see that, especially if you're from Arkansas, where we we know we have a lot of listeners. We also know we have a lot of listeners in Missouri. So you know, stick with us, folks. We one by one, are, we will win over every state in the country. We'll just keep going one by one, even Alabama, including Hawaii, which is a state. Yeah, it is. Oh, I'm I'm going to go to Hawaii soon. It's really, just, it's just an island, though. But it's a be- – holy cow. It is the most beautiful place. I mean, every state's got something beautiful going on. That is, boy, 24-7 beauty. Hey, today also we're going to be talking about 30 million workers without a bachelor's degree. We always hear how, you know, you got to get your college degree. It's all about the college degree. The only good jobs out there are in college degrees. Come on. 30 million jobs out there. Great jobs. Good jobs. Uh, with a bachelor's degree. So we'll be talking with somebody about the great opportunities that still exist if you choose not to go to college. 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. I'm doing what we can to give you a leg up in life. Some say that a college diploma is the new high school degree. Manufacturing jobs are disappearing. So does that mean that there are less jobs for high school graduates? Here to answer that question and more is Neil Ridley. He's the director of the State Initiative at the Georgetown University Center on Education and Workforce. And Neil, we appreciate you being with us. Thank you for your time. Good morning. Good to be here. Talk to us about uh, this. We hear that all the time. You know, it's important to get a college degree. College degree is the best way to make sure you get a job. But um, your research, your work is is really important, telling us that there are 30 million workers out there without a bachelor's degree, and they have good jobs. That's right. When most people think about this, uh, most people are very familiar with the, the high school to four-year college degree pathway or, or or route in life, and there's much less attention, much less awareness of of career options and jobs for for people that don't complete a bachelor's degree, uh, don't don't get a four year degree or more, and so so that's what we we set out to do. And as you said, we found 30 million jobs uh, across the country for the that that pay well, that pay well um, for those without a bachelor's degree, and and and. We defined good jobs. Uh, we defined those jobs that pay well as jobs that pay at least thirty-five thousand for younger workers and forty-five thousand for older workers, and that translates into about seventeen dollars per hour for younger workers and about twenty-two dollars per hour for for older workers. That's that. That is actually, to me, very hopeful because uh, the idea that every person should go to college or can go to college or would benefit from going to college um, or is able to go to college, it's, it doesn't seem realistic. And so it seems like otherwise we just leave everybody hopeless that, yeah, sorry, I guess your life is over. Um, but you're, you're saying there are good jobs. And uh, I mean, $45,000 seems like, you know, in such, that's, that's a teacher salary. That's that's um, that's a pretty good job, it seems like. What what are the fields that that you see these jobs in? What what kind of uh, do they need any special training? How do, and how do they go about getting some of these jobs? Right. Well, we found uh, well some some good examples are uh, from different different industries. So first of all, we we looked at we divided the good jobs into two primary categories, blue-collar blue collar good jobs and good jobs in skilled services. And we actually found that good jobs uh, for those without a bachelor's degree have been growing uh, much faster uh, in the skilled services area. And the, the classic example in uh, the classic example of a skilled services job would be in the healthcare field, which mm. I think most people realize is growing quickly with hospitals in every community and clinics, and so 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 one of the classic examples is reg- a registered nurse or health and, a, and health technicians who might be working in hospitals or clinics. We also found uh, jobs, good jobs for computer support specialists, which are needed in lots of industries, lots of lots of companies, 
And then on the blue collar side, we sent, we found uh, pl- uh, quite a few good jobs for uh, automotive service technicians and construction workers and HVAC uh, technicians. That's heating and air conditioning mechanics, and 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 then on and on. We have a whole list of of those examples in our report. Hmm. I mean, it, it sounds like what we're hearing too, though, with some of the blue collar, um, a lot of the manufacturing jobs, I guess. We are losing, right? They're going away, yeah. but and those used to be good jobs, I guess, as well. But just because they're going away doesn't mean there's not other jobs. Yeah, that's right. I think we found, and that that was one of the main findings in our research, was that uh, that in the past, a lot of the good jobs for workers with for for high school graduates and those without a without a bachelor's degree um, were found in manufacturing. In other blue-collar industries, and we found, um, not not surprisingly, given the headlines that that we've all seen in recent years and you know, over the last decade, good jobs in manufacturing have declined quite quite sharply. We found uh, uh, good jobs in manufacturing actually dropped about 2.5 million um, during the time that we the, the period that we looked at. And, and that certainly fits with a lot of the headlines that people are familiar with. But we did find the positive side was we found a shift toward good jobs in these uh, skilled services industries that I, that I mentioned. Yeah. Health, health services is a classic example, but also financial services. And we, and we actually found gains of about 4 million good jobs in those skilled services industries. And it seems like... Uh, you may not need to go get a bachelor's degree, but a, a lot of these uh, good jobs still might require some tech training, some specialty, maybe, um, I don't know, some some opportunity to, to learn a trade or a skill. Yes, exactly. We found that education matters for sure in the job market. And it used to be possible uh, 20, 25, 30 years ago, perhaps even longer, that it used to be possible to land a good job uh, right out of high school, maybe with some minimal on-the-job training at a, at, a, at a company, at a plant or a mine or whatever. That's less and less true. And we found that a lot of the good jobs, uh, especially more recently, have been going to workers with some education past high school, some post-secondary education and, and training. And we found especially there was a sharp uh, uptick or sharp increase in good jobs held by those with associate degrees. Uh, so so that, re- that obviously requires some community college uh, or two-year. It requires some, some college experience. Yeah. And, then of cor- and then, of course, as you mentioned, there are uh, lots of jobs that require they require a certificate, a technical certificate, or some kind of a certification for the job that you're looking for. Like the journeyman, to I mean, uh, in in certain um, fields in in uh, electrical in, or electrical uh, electricians, um, I, I look at it that really part of this is, is you gotta you really gotta find what you like to do, what your, your what your abilities are, what your skills are, and then I guess obtain the most learning you can, whatever that is. Um, does do you see these numbers fall out uh, demographically in a certain way? Are are minorities equally uh, accessing and able to access these these good paying jobs as as maybe traditional white communities are? Right, that's uh, that's an interesting point, and we we just started to look at that in the 
in our national report, and we're going to be doing we're going to be doing much more work on that going forward. Uh, just so you know, so Good. we can probably we might be able to talk about yeah, that let's again do. In, a, in, a, in a few months. But but the, uh, the na- in our national report, we looked at the change in good jobs over time, and we found that uh, that uh, white white workers uh, have the largest share of good jobs now as they as they did back in 1991. But that you know they've they've lost some some share, and then uh, Latino workers have actually. Gained share, gain, you know, increased their share of good jobs over time, and that that fits because it, the, the uh, Latino workforce is growing very rapidly in lots of different parts of the different parts of the country, and then uh, South and the and the West in yeah. particular, and then um, and then uh, good jobs held by Black workers uh, have been pretty much flat during that period. There hasn't been a lot of growth in their share of good jobs. And what do you attribute that to? Um, not sure. Um, you know, we, as I said, we're going to be doing a lot more work, uh, more analytic work to look at what's behind some of these trends. And I, I think, um, you know, some of it is that, um, that a lot of the, the good, the, the good jobs that are still available in, uh, in skilled trades and in some of the, in, 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 and that are still available in manufacturing and other, in other fields, um, are still, you know, Still held by white workers um, by you know by some margin, and so so. But we have really, we need to look at this. I mean, clearly the Latino workforce trend is pretty apparent because yeah. it's been stri- striking growth, and that really fits. But we really need to look more closely at what's going on with uh, with black workers in particular. Hmm. Again, we're speaking with Nell Ridley, who is the director of the State Initiative at Georgetown University Center on Education and Workforce. And he's talking about uh, some research they've been doing where they found that 30 million workers without a bachelor's degree have good jobs, um, meaning good jobs anywhere from thirty-five dollars to $45,000 and above. Um, without a bachelor's degree. A lot of these are skilled service uh, uh, workers, um, but a lot of them also have some technical experience and technical degrees. Um, It also seems like, and maybe this is true with the Hispanic world as well, that there is is kind of a regional um, uh, opportunity depending on where you live. And do do you find that to be true, that are there certain places in the country where people... Are, are more able to make a living, are more able to get ahead not having a college degree than in other places of the country. Yes, and that's, that's a finding of our most recent report. We looked at how good jobs are playing out across 50 states and, and the District of Columbia as well. And, uh, and, and you're, you're right. I think one of the really striking findings that we had was that there is a lot of variation beneath the surface of the national trends, so beneath the, the the national trends that I was just that I was talking about a few minutes ago, and uh, and 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 I think it really states it amounts to the fact that that states have different economies and very different job markets, and and some and some states have uh, have economies uh, and industry in you know, a mix of industries that that naturally provide more jobs. Uh, a number of good jobs for for workers without a bachelor's degree, without a four-year degree. The other point that we found there's there's definitely a strong connection between states where there's been a lot of employment growth, uh, overall employment growth, such as Arizona, Texas, 
Florida, and other states in the, in the West, and, uh, and the growth of good jobs for those without a bachelor's degree. So, so there's clearly a connection. But, uh, there's also, but, the, but there are other factors as well. So, so, for example, we found in the Northeast and the Midwest, good jobs uh, actually in, in many of the states uh, were, uh, there were net losses, that there were actually fewer fewer good jobs um, at the end of the period than there were at the beginning. And that was really, those states were particularly hard hit by the decline in manufacturing jobs mm. that, we, that we started out talking about. So you think of the classic, uh, uh, you know, the losses of manufacturing jobs in Michigan and Ohio, for yeah. example, you know, as auto plants and other, and other factories closed down. Interesting. Yeah. And so, yeah, harder hit, that rust belt and and other areas. And then, and then if you're not having this big infusion of companies and jobs, then, yeah, you're stuck in a town or a city without a degree and without jobs. That's uh, Which, by the way, that we've talked about the opioid epidemic and other problems, suicide rates, how that's been impacting it there as well. Um, what about women versus men? Are Is there a difference in your data showing how men and women take uh, – are able to to take advantage of these good jobs. Yes, we started to look at that, and and we're gonna and again we're gonna be probing some of the the demographic trends a little bit more closely in the next few months, in the next year. What we found is that that men actually have claimed uh, most of the good jobs that go to workers without a bachelor's degree, hmm. and that's true back in that was true back in 1991, and it's true today. It's true right up to the, the current uh, current time period, and uh, so so roughly you know so men have roughly seventy percent so you know more than two thirds of the good jobs that go to workers without a bachelor's degree, and and then of course the question is why is that right yeah why right that yeah so why um, you know why has the ha- haven't women gained a greater share of these good jobs as especially as the, the industry shift has changed, right? It's mm-hmm. we've shifted more towards healthcare and um, more toward uh, skilled services and away from the traditional blue-collar industries. And I think, uh, I mean, I th- we just have the beginnings of answers there. But, but one one part of the answer is that that men that that there really there still are, even though there have been huge losses in manufacturing in particular, there are still quite a few good jobs in other blue-collar industries, construction. And transportation and others that men generally that gen, men generally dominate or have you know have a lot of uh, hold a lot of the job, good jobs in, and then on the on the other side, um, a lot of the you know many of the jobs that women may move into in healthcare services, for example, may not actually be they may be part time or they may be um, not as well paying as as other healthcare mm. jobs, and so so there, so there's probably a couple of trends. Uh, you know, working on both sides of the gender divide there. Yeah, that is interesting. But then, too, I think, haven't I heard statistically more uh, women are attending college than men right now to get bachelor's degrees? Yeah, that's actually, that's a great point, is that 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 women um, are outpacing men in terms of college enrollment. And women, women, the women are seeing a lot of gains by by going by taking the high school mm. to the four year college degree pathway. Yeah, and and men and 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 because because so many of the good jobs for for workers without a BA are still in uh, even you know as a, despite the trends that we talked about are still in 
in many blue-collar industries that tend to be more appealing to to men and uh, men coming out of high school or coming out of community college. That uh, that that's that's um, that's why you know that's also why you see a larger tilt toward men having having those good jobs. Yeah, it's it's fascinating too coming from a university here where. You know, we'll have two or three of our producers graduating, you know, in a few weeks and they'll leave with a degree, by the way, a humanities degree generally or a communications degree and um, they'll leave to go get their jobs. But they may not start at this good range. You know, they may not even start at this range you're talking about um, of $35,000 as they go start with a bachelor's degree. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. Now, I should say that yeah, we I just mentioned the uh, the thresholds that we counted, but when we looked at all of the good jobs that go to workers without a bachelor's degree, we found that the median the median annual pay was actually fifty five thousand. Was it really? And which is yeah. So that's so so there are quite a few of those quite a, plenty of these jobs that pay uh, well north of you know well above yeah the forty five thousand that I mentioned as just the starting point. So so yeah, there's. Um, there, that we did, yeah, we did find that fifty-five thousand, which is, is is a healthy and, as you say, competitive with um, with uh, depending on your degree yeah. and your area and Certain where you fields. are in the country, right? Yeah, it's competitive with some some other degrees as well. Neil, what advice would you give um, our children, maybe that are that are not sure what they want to do, but they de- they don't think that they're college able. They don't. They don't see that in their life, but they do see maybe a technical skill or a technical trade or an associate's degree. What advice do you give parents um, to make sure that you're at least getting your children the best opportunity to get a good paying job with no college degree? Yeah, I think that's uh, you know, that's a great, great question. And I think that uh, there are really several, several points. I think, first of all, we think that, uh, when I say we, I mean the, the scholars, the researchers here at the Georgetown University Center on Education and the Workforce, we see early work experience and early career exposure as, as very important. So I, I, we think that, uh, that, that, that young people really should have some exposure to careers, internships, jobs, uh, many, you know, obviously many high school students hold part-time jobs or, uh, you know, work a little bit on the weekend or during the summer. And, and that, that's invaluable in helping, helping young people figure out what they want to do, what, 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 what areas interest them, what, what start to look at some of the skills that are involved on the, in the workplace. And then the other, the other piece is uh, information. We have much better data than, than we used to, certainly better data than when I was, when I was a high school student or, or even younger. There's much better data available at the state level, at the national level, from, from colleges, on websites, about, about careers and about uh, what, what you can earn if you, if you go to college and major in a certain area or you, you take or you go or you get a job without that doesn't require a bachelor's degree. So that I, I would urge uh, everyone to, to really look at that data, really in, uh, study it and digest it and, and think about it in line with, your, with 
with your interests as you, yeah. you know, as you as you explore jobs. And then the third thing is, given the trends we're looking, given the trends that we've seen that that education really matters in the labor market, it's it's really it's important to think about being in a position, putting in a position, putting yourself in a position to get additional education and training when you need it and if you need it as you go into your career. So, so even if you don't, even if you don't start at a on a at a at a four-year college campus, for example, we want to. You might want to think about the education and training you will take that will still position you to be able to transfer there or or go go get that degree if you find you you want it and need it. Uh, in you know in a few years. Yeah, no, that's great, great advice. Neil Ridley, thank you so much for your insight. Neil, again, is the director of the State Initiative at the Georgetown University Center on Education and uh, and the Workforce. Great insights, folks. About uh, you know, if you, if you choose the option of not going to college, don't think it's over. Don't think you have no hope or any opportunity. You do. You uh, there's a lot of good jobs out there. Uh, with a median income of $55,000, that's pretty amazing uh, with no education. Plus, think about then you become an owner of your own company. You become a, a leader of your own company. And um, a little more initiative, you make even more. Powerful stuff. Helping you get a leg up in life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! You know, folks, one of the most important roles I think we play as, as adults, as parents, and I see it in my office a lot as I, as I meet with clients, um, we have a very specific responsibility to help our children find their light, right? To find their gift, to find what they are bringing to the world. And in, in doing so, we have a responsibility to bring some hope, and, but it takes some discernment. You've got, to, you've got to figure out with your kids what they can do to, um, to go attack the world and impact the world and be a positive force in the world. And I wonder if we do enough of it because I think we think uh, the schools are going to help our children find themselves and figure out their their gifts and their talents and their abilities. And I, I don't think that's the school's responsibility. I don't think it's your teachers, your children and their teachers' um, job to, to go figure out your child's talents. That, I think, is uniquely the parent's responsibility. Um, and and it, you don't, it doesn't have to be oppressive and scary. It's it should just be a natural part of life. What do you see your children uniquely gifted to do? What about their personality um, can set them up for a great life? And and you might be worth giving your children this kind of feedback. I have children that are just like me in a way, incredibly optimistic about life. In fact, many times I feel like that's a weakness of mine because I'm so optimistic that you know the world can be falling around me, and I'm still thinking, "Hey, we still have a chance." But one of the the issues I found is um, I have I have, for example, children who uh, their friends are all out selling pest control door to door. You know, which hey, great! I think that's awesome. If you can go make uh, you know forty fifty thousand dollars in a summer, and then that can support you for a year or two. 
Go do it. I think that's great. I just know that my kids can't do that very well. That's not in their – I mean they could go get it done. But it's not in their wheelhouse of something that they could do comfortably or something that they would enjoy doing. Um, they would have a nervous breakdown <laughs> having to, to you know, talk about pests with people in another state all summer long. But my, I just had a son that went to Colorado to do research, and they still had to go pretty much door to door. But they were doing research. Didn't pay as well. But they – they were giving back to families and, and communities, doing some research for, for um, a program here at BYU. And he found his gift. He found his ability. He found something he loves to do. And he's so excited. He's excited to go do it again next summer. But before that, he was battling to try to decide if he should go sell pest control in Oklahoma. And I looked at him and I'm like, would you like to do that? And he's like, not really. And I'm like, then why are you even considering it? We, we need to be the guide on the side for these kids and help them understand their own personality. Now, sure, if he had gone, he would have learned that he's not good at that, that he would have learned that. But he doesn't have to make the mistake or go have the trial if we could guide him a little bit more and help him understand what he's good at, help him understand what he really does well. Is he a communicator? Does he tend to want to be with people or be, be with less people? Is he more of a thinker? And, and start guiding him to what he does well. There's assessments you can take all over the place. Um, and, and, and what are his unique gifts and traits? What does he love to do? What would he spend his time doing anyway? Um, well, he'll just play video games. Great. Okay. So he likes technology. Is he good at technology? Then lean him toward technology. But Parents, we need to give our kids some direction. There's nothing more powerful for me than when my wife once told me, I really think that you could be a good, like, TV reporter or anchor. The minute she said that, I finally had the liberty and the freedom to go after what I wanted to do instead of pretending like I was going to be a lawyer or a doctor because that's what the people in my life did. So, parents, let's step up. Let's give our kids a little more direction, a little more insight. You don't have to do it for them, but you can definitely give them some feedback in a loving way. And I think it'll go a long way for the rest of us. Um, You know, lift the world by lifting our children. That's uh, the Coach's Corner. We'll continue the journey up next. Great story about uh, a firefighter with a special uh, history that led to a very incredible present. Welcome back, friends. You know, uh, a wonderful story about a man named David or Daniel Helsel. Now, he had a really memorable birth. Okay, He's a 42-year-old man, and his mother told him a story about how when um, he was born, they called an ambulance. He, she, the mom went into labor, called an ambulance, but apparently they didn't call the ambulance uh, fast enough because as they were being transported to the hospital, the mother, uh, Daniel's mother, delivered him a medic helped uh, in the back of the ambulance. Crazy birth story, right? And so he grew up knowing this story. And um, Helsel then uh, has worked as a Prince George's County Fire Department officer for 17 years. So, you know, knowing you were born in an ambulance maybe motivated you to go become a firefighter. Well, long story short, 
on his birthday, I guess his 42nd birthday, he happens to get a call that brought him to an apartment of a woman who was in labor, and he was there to give assistance. So he starts helping the woman, taking her to the hospital in his ambulance, and uh, lo and behold, guess what? Delivers a baby on his birthday in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. How cool is that? Mark Brady, a spokesman for the fire department, said at least 24 babies are born in the county ambulances every year. But it was deja vu for Daniel Daniel Helsel because uh, it just happened to be a remarkable coincidence, right, that uh, he not only was born in one, but he now gets to deliver a baby. How cool is that? By the way, one of those really good jobs that uh, you don't even have to have a bachelor's degree. You could go get a certificate, a technical, like be an emergency medical technician or a paramedic would be a little, uh, a lot more training, actually. Um, th- again, are, are you grateful for these people that are there day in and day out? Are you grateful for the people that are making your life easier? You don't always have to, um, you don't always have to get the college degree. It may not be who you are. It may not be what your mission and gift to this world is. With Daniel Helsel, if we hadn't had his skills, you know, who would have been delivering that baby? Anyway, cool story. And again, tons of hope, I think, for all of us, folks. Uh, weird dinks we call them in our family, coincidences that uh, make life interesting. We'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're doing what we can on the program to give you a leg up in life. Stick with us. You're listening to BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Top of the morning to you. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Along with Terry and Jeff, the gang is gathered. And today, we got a lot to get into. We are going to talk about bedtime. Apparently, uh, Leanna Tan's got a tangent. I, we need to start shutting it down earlier. My family, we stay up way too late. Why? I, it's because they're teenagers. We do it too. You, do your kids, but your kids go to bed at like eight. Yeah. Yeah. But then they get up at, you know, six. I know, but teenagers go to bed at midnight and get up at six. No. I'm up at I'm up at five forty in the morning, and I see my son in the hallway. I'm like, well, "Are you sleepwalking?" He's <laughs> like, "No, I'm just getting up." What? Weren't you? Didn't you go? You go to bed late? Oh yeah, yeah. <sighs> so it's energy drinks, energy drinks. Maybe that's it. And uh, the need to be on the phone. I think it's. I think it's. They've got. They've got girls. They think are cute. <laughs> they got to get primped. Primped and prepped for the I mean, day. My kids are working their hair like crazy now. It's amazing. They're do brushing they their teeth. Do they? Do they tweeze? I've never seen any of my kids ever tweeze. Really? No. But I'm sure they do. And they they finally care about how they look. They boy, they totally care about how they smell. We have a we have a flame hazard in my bathroom every morning as they're axing <laughs> up. My kids are donning the axe body spray. Luckily, no one in the house lights a match or we'd go up. I can already hear the headlines. Four die in a house fire as a teenage boy's axing up. Crazy time. We will uh, we'll be talking about growing up. We'll be talking about life. Also, moral fiber, the awakening of a corporate consciousness. Um, 
with our, our guest later in the show. Plus, we, we've we got to get into some Donald Trump talk. President Trump, uh, interesting news coming out about uh, Mike Pence. Now, this is a report in The Atlantic, but has since, I guess, Mike Pence has since uh, said, not true. Well, the uh, the official release from his spokesperson said that they mentioned it in the article, and they reiterate, not true. Okay. Alternative facts. Not true. Uh, remember the Access Hollywood tape came out with President Trump and Billy Bush. I do remember that. It uh, made a little bit of a, you know, splash. Yeah. Um, well, when that all went down, then fi- vice presidential candidate Mike Pence contemplated a ballot coup mm. against then candidate Donald Trump. Coup, coup. <laughs> Why is coup spelled coup? I don't know. Okay, go ahead. Totally weird. Other so is, it a, is it a coup de ville? It's a coup de ville. There's many more questions here than actually have to do with the topic, but go ahead. So a small group of billionaire donors were weighing the possibility of paying Trump $800 million to drop out of the race. To go away. <gasps> Is that his price, $800 million? Well, apparently it wasn't. Oh. He didn't take it. But I, I don't, that's why I don't know if I believe if this is true or not. Because I think he would have took it. Did they actually, he would have taken that bad deal. Did they actually do it or did it say they contemplated it? They're saying they contemplated it. So no no word on if they followed through with the the offer. Yeah, but this, this is within hours of the Washington Post story about the tape. Pence made it clear that the Republic, to the Republican National Committee that he was ready to take Trump's place as the party's nominee, mm. according to McKay Coppins, mm-hmm. who's been on our show. Yes. Hmm. Uh, at the same time, multiple donors entertain the possibility of offering Trump enough money to walk away from the election. What's your buyout amount? Oh, what would it have had yeah, to what, be? 50, what's your price? Fifty bucks. Fifty dollars. Fifty bucks and a pizza. <laughs> maybe a gift card somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You get me a pizza and fifty dollars. Oh, maybe some headphones. Oh, nice headphones. Yeah. Well, hold so, on. What are they buying me out of? The presidency. Oh. So yeah, that that was the bucks. question. Well, still, I 50. wouldn't run for president ever. Are you mm. kidding? I have scruples. I have values and principles. Wow. <sighs> Not to you, you have a private life you'd like to probably I have a keep private. private. Life. I have a family. He's You're... got a lot of skeletons he doesn't want taken and I, out of the closet. Oh, and I have got a lot of closeted skeletons. Um, so anyway, this is when there was a lot of buzz about Condoleezza Rice becoming his running mate. Boy, a lot of stuff there. So, But again, Pence is saying not true, not true. Uh, but, you know, who knows what you believe anymore? Who knows what you believe? Uh, you all right there? Just tossing <laughs> highlighters around the room. Don't worry about it. It's okay. No, <laughs> Terry, one, no, no one was harmed. Terry's the noisiest producer. I try to be quiet, but I've never worked in a room where every little sound, every sound is picked up. Mm-hmm. That's why you just have to sit. I always just have my hands hovering, my arms in the air, frozen like a robot. <clears throat> We need more video in this in our in our video in our presentation here because then people could see what we're going through. Really, they could see Jeff in his the struggles. Yeah, Jeff in his jammies. Hey, this is an early show. It's a very early show. Okay, I can't be expected to get here on time and in clothes. <laughs> Tell that to HR because they called. They're never here that early. No, but they get the memo. I see so many people on the weekends. That have that same sort of ideal. Oh, really? They should not be expected to get out of bed and then change their clothing. Do you see them here doing that? No, but it's, you know, on a Saturday, yeah. it's, oh, say, yeah. 5 p.m. They're just wandering around in their pajamas. And you're like, I will say, I, 
I recent well, it was a months ago, months ago. I spent this is the only time I've ever done this. Spent the entire Saturday in pajamas. It was one of the best things ever. What, was it on a holiday? No. Were you just you were just being It was just a, a Saturday, a lazy Saturday. And it was the wow. most marvelous experience. Well, but you were sick. You were probably sick. No. I was in heaven. See, after a while, my personal self-esteem takes a hit. I have to get yeah. dressed. Well, I've only a, yeah. done it once, but well, it was great. Well, there's a point that you look in the mirror and you're like, ah, oh, boy, I look, I look horrible. What am I doing? Did your wife not say anything? No, I think she was in her pajamas too. Oh, it was a pajama party. Yeah. That's fun. That's fun. It's like a jumpsuit in prison. You wear them all day. <laughs> It's just like that. Uh, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be focused on today? President Trump on Monday officially endorsed Roy Moore, the Republican candidate for Senate in Alabama, less than a month after Moore was accused by multiple women of inappropriate sexual conduct while they were teenagers and he was in his early 30s. Moore tweeted the news of the, co- the coveted endorsement and quoted the president as saying, Go get him, Roy. The White House confirmed the endorsement in a statement saying that Trump had a positive phone call from Air Force One with Roy Moore, one of the women who said the Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore pursued a relationship with her when she was a teenager, has provided the Washington Post with new evidence of their courtship. Debbie, Debbie Wesson Gibson, who previously told the Post that she and Moore dated publicly when she was 17 and he was 34. Uh. And the district attorney came forward Monday with a handwritten card that she says shows Moore congratulating her on her high school graduation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Utah Senator Orrin Hatch says he doesn't Ugh. think Trump had any choice but to to do that, meaning endorse more, because he needs every Republican he can get so he can put his agenda through. So that's the only Republican so that's the only Republican you can possibly get down there. The only one that can win the election in Alabama is Roy Moore, so he has well, really no it's, choice. It's Alabama. Regarding Moore's alleged transgressions, Hatch said many of the things he allegedly did are decades ago, Hatch said. So it's hard. Uh, that's oh. a decision that has to be made by the people of that state. If they uh. make that decision, who are we to question them? So is he staying well, on? hold on. You were all questioning him a month ago. Right. Yeah. So you are our representative to question him. Hatch, who's 83, the, serving his seventh term and is still mulling over whether to run for re-election in 2018. His potential successor is uh, Mitt Romney. He tweeted on Monday, Roy Moore in the U.S. Senate would be a stain on the GOP and on the nation. There you go. Lee Kaufman and other victims are courageous heroes. No vote, no majority is no vote or no majority is worth losing our honor and our integrity. Oh, Mitt Romney. And yes. Trump all but endorsed Hatch yesterday when he was here in Utah. Oh, I know. He's their best friends. And which some say were actually the reason for the visit. Yeah, exactly. To Not keep necessarily Hatch the national in parks. The party. Yeah. Wow. Come on. 17-year-old girl being yeah. courted by a 34-year-old it, man. It's such a hard thing to and think about. And they kissed. Yeah. It was consensual. Right. It was. It, it's hard, though, man. It's creepy consensual. What's a guy to do? It's hard. <laughs> Date a 20-year-old. Date a 25-year-old. They were Date all taken. Date a 26-year-old. They were all taken. What? Roy Moore went into the military. He came yeah. out, went to law school. By the time he was available to, to date... All the women his age were taken, so he had to go younger. That's the excuse they're using. Uh, or go older. Why no, not go older? He, he didn't want older. Didn't didn't fit what he want. He wanted to go younger, so he went younger. He well, had he had their mom's permission. That's what he said. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, 
Excuse me. <laughs> you just can't. I mean, this is the what, this is the excuses that have been used in this situation. I know, and it all just comes back kind of grimy. You can't really get by it. You, and yeah. Uh, <laughs> Okay, moving on. Hours after President Trump announced Monday he would shrink the size of two national monuments in Utah, outdoor retailer Patagonia said it will sue to try to stop him. Americans have overwhelmingly spoken out against the Trump administration. They're unprecedented to attempt to shut down our national monuments. Patagonia President and CEO Rose Marcaro said in a statement, We fought to protect these places since we were founded, and now we will continue that fight in the courts. This is the Antiquities Act, and the big issue is... Uh, Trump's position is it's fine that the presidents did this, but as part of the Antiquities Act, you're supposed to take the smallest amount of property as as needed Mm -hmm. to create these places. But they took vast hundreds of thousands of acres or millions of acres of land instead of the smallest. So he shrunk them. The Bears Ears National Monument is being shrunk by 85 percent and the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument by 50 percent. You know, I was just down in these national parks, the most beautiful places on earth, and nobody goes there except the locals all live there, and they need these access roads to get to grazing, and Mm -hmm. and companies need it to get to their minerals rights, and so the bigger the park, the less influence from the locals, the smaller the park, the more the locals... It's a GOP Democrat battle that's gone on forever. Right. And anybody want to make a wager? Not that we wager. That uh, the next president that could be a Democrat, the way things are going, we'll fix, uh, will we'll come in and, and now increase the size of yeah. all of these things. And so this this group, Patagonia, an outdoor retailer, other companies are thinking this direction. There are f- the five uh, Native American tribes who were involved in the creation of the Bears Ears Monument are also putting together legal action. Yeah. So this isn't going away. It's just going to continue as. Pretty much everything that is done is going to be in the courts. Okay. Authorities in Southern California issued mandatory evacuation orders for hundreds of homes overnight after a brush fire in Santa Paula exploded to cover more than 25,000 acres. Fire officials warned that the fierce winds could send the flames into residential areas and make the blaze especially dangerous. Isn't that crazy? And there's dramatic footage if you'd like to uh, see horrible fire. (laughs) It looks like horrible fire. Uh, Finally, business magnate T-Bone Pickens. T-Bone Pickens! He has listed his beloved 64,000-acre Mesa Vista Ranch for $250 million. I know some people out there looking for Christmas gifts. $250 million. Blasted! I only have $180 million. A little bit outside your price range there. Uh, located in the eastern Texas panhandle, around 85 miles from Amarillo, which means the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I've been out there. I spent a week there one night. You could have afforded it had you taken that uh, that buyout to not uh, run for president. Should have done The it. ranch encompasses 101 square miles of rivers, rolling hills, mesas, and man-made lakes. Really? He went out and made his own little creation out there. It's great. So the ranch had only a small metal livestock feed house when he first bought it. Now boasts a two-story restaurant, a nine-hole golf course, a dog kennel, a chapel, an art gallery, and a private airport. Wow, you'd never need to leave. No. The 33,000-square-foot main lodge includes a great room, two fireplaces, a library with a spiral staircase, a commercial kitchen, a 30-seat movie theater... There's also a lake house, a gatehouse, and a 6,000-square-foot family house perfect for guests. Is there a mall that we could put Roy Moore in? 
<laughs> Maybe, but no. Okay. Pickens wrote in a note that was published on LinkedIn where all this kind of stuff gets published, apparently. He goes, and I personally directed the placement or replacement of 20,000 trees on the property. Wow. That's a lot of trees. That's a lot of trees. Well, it, but it, and maybe in Armadillo, uh, Amarillo, <laughs> maybe in Amarillo, those are the, there are no trees. Uh, it's kind of desolate, yeah. Yeah. What a great place. I I think I'd like to try for it. Really? Take a run at it? Maybe it's a, maybe it's a tough housing market at that price point. You can come in with your 180. Maybe you I could lowball them like 250,000. Mm. That might be for the 600 square foot family house that's on the property. <laughs> you could live there. I kind of want the chapel and the movie theater too. Okay. You want your own private chapel? I think it'd be great. Okay. You don't have to go to church? Yeah, then I can invite the people that I want in my church to come over. I want you and you, not you. Not you can you. wait outside. Sorry. No shirt, so, no shirt, no shoes, no service. So if you're looking for that last minute Christmas gift, here's like an entire compound for you. 85 miles east yeah. of Amarillo. Mm. What are you going to do there? Hmm. Okay. I can still hear your paper rustling. Did you hear about uh, all these bowl games? Boy, the gifts these kids get. Yeah. Well, it, it I depends. Mean, I mean, it's not the Oscars. They don't get the party bag that they give at the Oscars. But... One, one bowl game, one of the key gifts is a fidget spinner. Oh, boy. It really? seems like maybe a year removed mm. from that whole thing. Uh, another one, they're giving away PlayStation 4s. Oh, wow. Which are $300, you know, in some places or more. Uh, some get sandals. Yeah, there's Ooh. some sandals. I mean, that's the Bahama Bowl. <clears throat> well, it's the Bahamas. Man, I'll take that one. The Bahama Bowl in itself is the treat. You get to go there for the holidays and hang out for a few days. A lot of them get Oakley uh, backpacks and sunglasses. Okay. Some get the electronics or they mm-hmm. get – I guess some of these – you get to go to a suite. So you can go to the electronics suite and I guess you're allowed to pick out whatever, $200 worth of whatever. Yeah. Some amount of whatever. Gear. Some Something. Backpacks, yeah. sunglasses, more, more of that kind of stuff. Some get a $175 Best Buy gift card. Ooh. Boy, that's, that's a good deal. Yeah. Uh, some get a hoodie. Nice. Watches, lots of watches. It's a makes me kind of wish I was in a bowl game. Eh. What do you mean? Some of the stuff I've seen, and it's, I mean, it's okay. Huh? But you have, a, I mean, it's more just like a little trophy. Like the watch, it'll be something that'll have like the bowl game logo on it. Yeah, but you could wear that forever. And then like at your job interview, mm. you know, when you're when you're trying to be one of the best by I played in the Bully and Weed Eater Bowl or whatever that used to be. Yeah, yeah. I would yeah. check eBay the day after they get these gifts. That's the other thing is the stuff goes on eBay pretty quick. <clears throat> Ooh, uh, the Cotton Bowl, they won't disclose what the players get. Ooh. Cotton balls. That's oh, yeah. It's like T-shirts and you stuff. You get a bag full of cotton you, balls. You get some bath towels. I was uh, had a really interesting night last night, and I want to know if you guys have ever done this. Have you ever um, – so we have a garage that we figured out my son needs to have his car in the garage, or we need to get him a new battery. Because it's getting cold here now, and so it's harder for him to get his car started in the morning. So it's got to be warm when he goes to start it. Yeah. Okay. So we played musical cars last night in the garage to see how many cars we could fit in our garage. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if – is it is the goal of the garage to safely protect your cars from doors dinging it 
or is it to get as many cars in the garage as you can? And then is it bad that you have to like roll the window down and slide out the window and then through the next car's window <laughs> and then climb over the seats and then out the next window? Hmm. It's probably too close. Yeah. Park too close. Some of my neighbors, it's storage and the cars are in the driveway. Yeah. So the express purpose of the garage has now been overtaken by the fact yeah. you have too much junk. See, I grew up in a home where we never parked the car in the garage. And I mean, only for like a year or two. So the minute I owned a home that could have the car in the garage, the car goes in the garage. But now we've got to get all of our cars in the garage. So our two cars fit very snugly in our garage. And I actually park, we both kind of park at an angle. There you go. We're never leaving at the same time. Yeah, that's what we do too. So that helps prevent the doors banging into each other. We have a ping pong table in our garage, so we had to park that somewhere else. Mm. So we parked that at the neighbor's garage. Why don't you uh, Why don't you park that at my house? No. How much do you want for it? No, my kids love it. It's like our it's our favorite recreational activity Come when on. it's warm. They wouldn't even notice it was gone. They wouldn't initially, but uh, they will eventually. Anytime they're all home, we play ping pong, and we play old Nintendo games because we're all really good at those. Okay, I was ready to make you an offer. Is it? Sight unseen. $800 million offer? You're not going to get that ranch. Just let it go. I want the ranch where I can have a chapel. I would never have to leave. I could wear my jammies <laughs> and, and my chaps. And if you you had your own airport. Yeah. Which is probably just an airstrip, but still. Well, you then could I let, need an airplane. You, you have to get your G7. Yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bummer. I, I was sure I would be a billionaire by now. What's happening to me? Such a failure. Anyway, we'll continue uh, learning. Up next, we're going to be doing a little uh, bedtime tangent. Leanna Tan, here to elevate us and help us fight about uh, going to bed. Yes, folks, it is that time to go to the empty news segment. Uh, This is the news that uh, you might not hear about, and who better to help us than our news anchor, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. The empty news team, first on the scene, fifth on facts. We've got some good ones today, uh, and several have to do with crashes. A lot of them have to do with crashes. Um, This first one... What would you do if you were trying to get go go through the legal channels to get something passed or an issue taken care of, but you just feel like you weren't being heard? How far would you be willing to go? I'd go seven miles. Seven miles. Seven miles to make this thing make this point. I'm sorry, the answer was six. Six miles. You only had to go six. Blast it! Uh, there's a Florida man who said he was so fed up with dangerous drivers at one uh, particular intersection that he intentionally caused a head-on crash to prove a point. Well, that's not smart. Yeah. Uh, so this was in uh, Lake County. Uh, Bruce Homer, 61, told deputies that he saw an SUV run a stop sign at an intersection, so he pulled into the SUV's lane, claiming the SUV should have swerved to avoid him. Oh, brother. And uh, people are always running the stop sign at this intersection, and since you guys, law enforcement, don't do anything about it, I did. (laughs) Homer told deputies, according to the report. Homer? Homer. Okay. Um, Yeah. I think I've I've seen the cartoon about this guy. So he was arrested. 
And uh, the deputy said it was he was wrong about traffic enforcement at the intersection. Do you think this was the way to go about it? No, no. The minute you think, hey, I think a head on collision will help him get the point. The minute you say that, you're you're on the wrong side of the law. Yeah. Sorry, Homer. Anyway, uh, another crash. This one was uh, in a place that you might not think. Where? So there was a report of a car crashing into a pizza and ice cream shop on Long Island. Turned out to be a scene for a film starring Billy Crystal. Oh, really? Yeah. So... Here's what happened. Police in Long Beach report that officers and firefighters were dispatched Monday morning after someone reported a vehicle had crashed into a restaurant. Police department officials say they were aware that a movie was being filmed there, but had to be sure a real accident hadn't occurred. An officer was posted at the location to direct motorists around the scene, which may have led someone to believe that there had been a crash. Crystal grew up in Long Beach. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. Yeah. And as far as I know... He was not injured really? in the car crash. Well, I, good. Thank heavens. You can't. We need him. <laughs> the, the, the rest of the movie stars and famous people are dropping like flies. Yeah. Um, speaking of movies, mm-hmm. what Christmas movies are you watching this year? Um, see, you bring up I, – I don't ever think of movies as a Christmas movie. You don't have movies that you watch every year without fail? No. No. I try. You Grinch. Because what I do is uh, I I try to get my kids hooked on things that I used to love. Like one time we watched MASH. Really? During the Christmas break and my kids liked it a lot. They did. Uh-huh. Did they watch every episode? No, no. Yeah. But, but they got really into it. And then one time I, we, we watched Hogan's Heroes. Okay. And they got into that. Interesting. So I, we kind of use television more that way instead of going back to the favorites. Yeah. We don't do that. Okay. Sorry so, not to offend. So not having a Christmas favorite, just trying to enforce your favorites onto them. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I like to push my favorites down rather than um, <laughs> any other way. So uh, there are so many movies to choose from. If you do have holiday favorites – you know, you just don't have the time, though, with the presents and the shopping and the wrapping right. and the movie watching. There are so many to choose from. So which ones do you choose and which ones do you just leave by the wayside? It's hard to decide. Well, I want to help you out with that. Okay. I want to give you a list of films that you can skip this year and maybe even a few that you can skip forever after. These are Christmas movies that you can skip that you maybe don't ever need to bring into your Repertoire. They don't need to be a part of your Christmas life. This is Jeff Simpson, and in an effort to help you save time, here are five movies you can safely save until next year, or just skip completely. Number one. Now, I'm probably going to get into trouble with my wife for this one, and it isn't a particularly bad film, but for me, Irving Berlin's White Christmas just doesn't lend itself to repeat viewing. It's cheesy, it seems longer than it is, and is anyone else bothered by the fact that Bing Crosby's love interest in the film, Rosemary Clooney, was 25 years younger than Bing? I guess I've always been kind of a silly schoolgirl, you know the bit, the... Lady Fair and the Knight on the White Horse. Let me tell you something. It's kind of dangerous putting those knights up on white horses. 
likely to slip off, you know. Ugh, creepy. Number two, Scrooged. This dark take on Dickens' A Christmas Carol is just a downer. As much as I love Bill Murray, his laid-back demeanor is best when he's playing an innocent, like in What About Bob? I've never been on a boat, and I don't think I can handle it. And his sarcasm is best when his character has an arc, like in Groundhog Day. Do you ever have deja vu? Didn't you just ask me that? But Murray's arc here is minimal, if not non-existent. The film is crude, mean-spirited, and unnecessary. We have spent $40 million on a live TV show. You guys have got an ad reading a book in front of a fireplace. I have to kill all of you. Brownie points, however, to Danny Elfman's exceptional score. Number three, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Uh-oh. I'm gonna murder that kid. This film is more of a remake than a sequel. When Home Alone Part 1 became the highest-grossing holiday film of all time, the filmmakers definitely took the if-it-ain't-broke approach when making Part 2. Instead of Chicago, mischievous Kevin is alone in New York. What kind of idiots do you have working here? The finest in New York. Instead of overcoming his fear of a creepy snow salt shoveler, he overcomes his fear of a creepy bird lady. What's this? It's a turtle dove. I have one, you have one. As long as we each have a turtle dove, we'll be friends forever. And instead of crooks Harry and Marv getting maimed by paint cans, Harry and Marv get maimed by paint cans. Now, this doesn't mean as a kid I didn't love the maiming parts. In fact, I would usually fast forward to those paint cans. Come on, let's get them. Oops. <sighs> Good times. Number four. Like many of you, I'm always on the lookout for new holiday classics. Well, Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas, continues Disney's classic tradition of cashing in on former hits at any cost. Uh, the good news, the entire main cast is back for this straight-to-video sequel-slash-prequel with a few welcome additions like Bernadette Peters and Tim Curry. The bad news, the 70-minute film focuses on Belle's efforts to secure a Christmas tree. Oh, sorry. The music is simply unbearable. If you must love someone, may I suggest you love yourself, just think it through. You'll never leave and you'll find you'll get more rest. You'll always feel as good as new. The animation is noticeably inferior to the original. Just as an example, when Belle first appears on screen, my daughter said out loud, That's not Belle. And number five, the Star Wars Holiday Special. Now, in all honesty, I've never actually seen this film, other than maybe the first five minutes. But I have heard many of the stories surrounding this 1978 made-for-TV movie that suggest the experience was anything but jolly for those involved. It's Chewie, but where's Han? That's him hanging upside down. A quote from George Lucas sums it up perfectly. If I had the time and a sledgehammer... I would track down every copy of that show and smash it. I can't understand what Chewbacca's doing. So there you have it. My five picks for Christmas movies you should probably avoid. Did you know 
According to a survey conducted by Littlewoods, only 13% of parents read to their kids at night every day of the week. A bedtime story used to be a popular way for parents to bond with their kids, but in a single generation, the tradition has dramatically declined. A few of our producers got together to keep the tradition alive and are going to treat us with their own retelling of a bedtime story with a millennial twist. Remember when your mom and dad used to tuck you into bed and pull out a nice fairy tale to lull you to sleep? Whatever happened to those days? I was reading a bunch of articles on bedtime stories, and they all said that bedtime stories create a unique bond between parents and children, and that they cultivate imagination and improve vocabulary. So, at what age did this all stop? Why don't parents still read to their 20-plus-old millennial kids? Maybe it's because our jargon is completely different from age-old fairy tales, or because we're used to a fanfare of special effects to entertain us. Or maybe we can't relate to the material, and perhaps we just want the darn story to cut to the chase and give us the good details. But I don't want you all to miss out on this wonderful bonding experience with your millennial kids. So I got together with some of the other producers to teach you how to tell a bedtime story to your millennial. Here's a retelling of the famous story of Aladdin through the lens of a millennial. Aladdin was hashtag blessed, spending spring break in Dubai with his uncle who worked for some big bank and lived in a high rise. Dubai was radical. Lots of cool relevant culture while still having free range eggs available. Aladdin was loving it. The last day of break, Aladdin went on a camel ride. The dunes extended for miles in every direction. Aladdin was just leaning over to snap a sick peck of the sunset when his camel reared up and sprinted away, throwing Aladdin to the ground. Aladdin hit his knee on something hard, like a rock. He felt around in the sand and pulled out the Gucciest vintage lamp. Aladdin rubbed the lamp to get the sand off because he was totally taking this back to the States. Think of how jealous his friends would be. And a huge cloud of smoke billowed out of the lamp. The cloud condensed into a genie? Whoa. The genie spoke. I am the genie. Aladdin snapped a bit. Uh, I get three wishes. Aladdin only had to think for like three seconds about his first wish. There is nothing more important in this world than people liking your photos. I want to be insta-famous and have like a million followers and do giveaways and sell fit tea, he said. Said the genie. And Aladdin's phone pretty much blew up because of all the follower notifications he got. Aladdin couldn't believe it. As bogus as it was that he was headed home tomorrow, he felt a totally crazy premonition that things would never be the same. As Aladdin sat on the cold plain with his blue backpack on his lap, he felt the shape of the lamp through the responsibly sourced and reclaimed cloth. What will be my next wish, he thought, as he crunched through the avocado toast the flight attendant handed him as she made her rounds. His eyes slowly closed as he dreamt of the endless possibilities that lay before him. He dreamt of lottery machines and scratch-off cards and Patagonia shopping sprees. His eyes shot open as he felt the wheels of the plane touch ground and come to a screeching halt. I know I want to wish for, he whispered out loud as he pulled his Apple ear pods out. 
his Uber driver couldn't drive any slower. Aladdin's feet impatiently tapped the floor of the car. He just couldn't take it anymore. He ripped open his bag and rubbed the lamp. The car lurched forward and the driver turned around. It was the genie. He looked at Aladdin through the rearview mirror and said, Are you ready for your next wish? Aladdin nodded. He was going to wish for all his student loan debts to disappear, but instead he blurted out, I wish I had the brand new Tesla. In a split second, Aladdin was in the driver's seat of his new Tesla, speeding through the San Fernando Valley. Man, Aladdin thought, look at this view. I love traveling. And that got Aladdin thinking. With large internet following, companies are going to start sponsoring my new vlog. Oh, hey guys, it's Aladdin. Don't forget to click subscribe. In fact, I'm sure Patagonia is going to be one of my major sponsors because that would be so cool, he thought. I'll travel the world, enjoy local cuisine, and totally party. But then Aladdin realized every star needs a companion. Every Iron Man needs his pepper pots. Aladdin reached over to the passenger seat, rubbed the lamp, and out popped Genie. Genie, Aladdin said, I wish for a girlfriend to come with me as I travel the world. What kind of girl do you want? Genie asked. Well, she's got to listen to all of my stories, and I'd love it if she has the driest sense of humor. And let's be honest, she's got to be cool taking hundreds of selfies with me. After all, we've got a whole new world to discover. Genie replied, I've got just the thing. He reached into his pocket and pulled out an iPhone 10. Find directions to a whole new world. Okay, here's what I found for a whole new world. Aladdin responded, Thanks, Siri. Please, call me Jasmine. Now that's the way to tuck your millennial into bed. You'll have them engaged, happy, and then sound asleep in no time. What's more, I'm pretty sure you'll create an everlasting bond and see a positive increase on their grades and work performance because of all that cultivated imagination and improved vocabulary. You're welcome. Happy bonding, everyone. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. Leaders in today's cutthroat business world don't often value respect, honesty, or compassion. However, these values are essential and must be present in business world if leaders want to succeed. According to our next guest, Sean Vige, he's the author of Moral Fiber, Awakening Corporate Consciousness, and he's joining us today to uh, share with us five core values all leaders should have if they truly want to be successful. Sean, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thanks, Matt. I really appreciate it. You bet. What a what a great idea. I mean, we we hear business story after business story, bad press, bad news, uh, <laughs> companies that have lied. Uh, now we're hearing, uh, you know, about sexual harassment suits, even with corporate leaders as well. Talk about why why we need to get back to values and core values. Well, you know, it's it's look. I've been a senior business person for twenty five years, and you know, it's. Core values is it, it allows us to um, it allows us to build, especially in business. It allows us to build trust, right? Which allows us to make comprehensive decisions. There's a lot of reasons why we need to get back to core values. Um, you know, I talk about empathy, I talk about compassion, I talk about honesty, loyalty, and respect. But 
you know, it's it's really about um, it's really about conscious capitalism and, and raising the human condition, and having those core values allow you to do that. That's cool. That's a great phrase. Conscious capitalism. So it's really like I guess getting more of our consciousness, more of our essence, our spirit into the process instead of just making it about numbers. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely. I mean numbers are important, right? I'm a strong believer in the P and L. It's 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 profitability is is key, but it's it's nowadays as millennials you see coming in more into the workforce. There's more about purpose and how we go about doing things, and, and that's that's that that's that's what I mean by conscious capitalism. It's it's more about the how and not what we're trying to drive, but it's also about purpose, right? They talk about it all the time. They talk about you know reaching a state of happiness. There's pleasure. There's passion. And but really, I'm seeing more and more companies, and you see it more with Howard Schultz. I'm from Seattle, and you start seeing. You know, people standing up to these divisive comments that you hear out there, and, and and because companies believe in their communities, they believe in their people, and as as companies become more, as, as the world becomes smaller and companies become more global, they have to they, they cater. I won't say coddle, but they cater and, and they serve their 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 diverse customer base, which is they're also employees, and so you're starting to see more leaders stand up for what they believe. That's true. And what's, what's uh, I guess, important, too, is that, you know, all companies are made up of people. All, you know, consumers and customers are people. So if you're focusing on basic principles or um, values of people, it seems like it, it really would be good for business. Yeah, I mean, like you said, they're more global than ever. It's a diverse set. I love this quote. And you probably it's it's a company it's, it's they're a huge company multi billion dollar company uh, Tata Group in India but they're global and, and the founder said once which is I find so it's very inspiring the community is not just another stakeholder in business but it's the very fact in the fact the very purpose of its existence so having that mindset really kind of displaces a lot of things and and, and really gets to the core of why we are in business. Mm. And what really capital? I mean, we've redefined capitalism in a different world today. I mean, I mean, it's it's become so cutthroat. But I think we're starting to see a huge shift. You tell me, Matt. But I, I start no, totally. seeing this shift of uh, of people, you know, and, and that authenticity and honesty is becoming more and more relevant. Well, and especially too, because our our employees now have more choice. You know, they they there's so many different ways they can work with us or for us that. We're, if if we if we don't do it according to their values and their needs, they're going to disengage. They still may work for us, but they won't be an engaged worker. So, I, I mean, we do. We need to get. We need to make it more real, more authentic. You you also bring up in the book that uh, about an encounter with the Dalai Lama that transformed you. Talk about that. Yeah, it it, it, it did transform me. I mean, I was I was uh, for tw- like I said for twenty some plus years. I've worked in all kinds of capacities and you know my latest you know all the way from working the the line at Ford Motor Company all the way to running multi-million dollar deals but it was again it was you know I they call it in this career we all go through this career right living in our cubicles and, and we and we end up um, there's lots of studies that are done on this they call it ethical numbing psych or ethical fading psychic numbing you'll see a lot of this take place and, and we kind of I would say, kind of stay quiet and, 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 and in, in turn, really compromise ourselves 
because by, by, one of the toughest things we have in life is making choices and making the right choices. And I found myself, you know, as, an, as, as, a, as a business person over the years, just, I would say, normalize and condition the behavior like we're seeing in the country today. But in, in a corporate in setting for 20-some years, we have a tendency, all of us, to kind of condition ourselves in that way. And I think what happened was is I, I just started to lose myself, Matt. I started to lose myself, you know, living in this toxic environment. Mm. And then with all that toxicity, it builds one thing to another, and it kind of got into my personal life and my home life, and I, my health was in real bad shape, and everything just happened at once. And some people call it, you know, whatever you want to call it, coincidence or what have you. I won't get into the details, but I happened to be at a place where I had, um, I had met the Dalai Lama uh, alone for 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, and mm. then that led to just opening an inner door for me, if you will. Cool. Right? I'm, not a, I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. Yeah. And I just happened to be like, wow. And it just, I'm like, look, I'm not a monk. I'm a capitalist, but I believe in their values. And that got me to thinking and working with a lot of different business leaders and leading academia and the Dalai Lama's office. So that's what that's and that's just and I started you know started meeting people like Howard Cutler who wrote The Art of Happiness and just opened my world to a different realm and then I started connecting how could I how could I bring the best of both worlds Yeah and it did it change your health Oh totally I mean yeah. I, I mean you know look I'm always learning I'm always growing I'm always hitting the gym and that's the other thing it's you know like with values it's very similar to health it's this ethical discipline like physical discipline right? right it's just getting into the gym it's practicing it's living our values every day talk about what what are the the five uh, values five core values you bring up and you talk about what what are the values we should be focusing on well, I mean, look, it, it, you, it, there, there are a lot of the buzzwords you hear today, but the, you know, some people call them buzzwords. But there's a there's a reason for it. I mean, empathy for one, right? Yeah. And empathy, you know, look, leaders, you know, with empathy, they listen, they understand. But I truly, and, and what what does that mean in business? That means that that to me is the light of inspiration and innovation, right? When you really listen to your customers, and you really listen to what 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 the ecosystem is saying, that empathy allows you to listen truly and strike a chord and start building and creating the, the things that people desire. That, that to me is, the, is, is one of the roots. Compassion. Look, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here. Compassion to me is, you know, it's great. They, these are leaders that set aside their egos and listen with sincerity and humility, hmm. right? And so they, they, they display a vested interest in learning more about their employees and their communities. And that to me is important. I'm not talking about hugs in the office. Obviously, there's people who, who, who like to do that, and that's great, you know. But what I'm talking about is tough love, right? I have a daughter, and, yeah. you know, I don't want to spoil her. So, you know, hold her accountable at the same time. And then obviously, honesty. That's honesty in our interactions with colleagues. So that, that's a core founding. I mean, this, these are simple things. Right. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a foundation for, for trust, like loyalty. You know, in loyalty, it's critical in driving agile decision-making and forging lasting relationships with all kinds of customers and colleagues. You know, and this loyalty is, is, is key in business. And then obviously respect, right? Mutual respect. You know, it flows up and down the chain of command. And, you know, um, how many, you know look, look, how many careers have been stalled with someone that goes above their manager without informing them? Or, you know, having that finesse, if you will. But, I mean, it's, it respect is, you know, it's earned, 
and, and, and you see the leaders who earn it and who command it and who try to demand it. And those don't last too long. Oh, so, so those true. Are the, the, yeah, those are the five things I talk about. I go into it a little bit more, but they're very common. But the key is really when I've interviewed, I interviewed across like the, the head of Starbucks HR all the way to like uh, executive, I mean, everybody from the janitor at, at Whole Foods, hmm. everybody I've interviewed, these were the five common core things I got out of it. And, well, and it seems like we're we're so hungry for them in today's leadership, whether it's political, whether it's um, you know, in corporations, or even just in uh, even even in some of the charities and, and other groups that we work with, or churches that we're a part of, it seems like we are just starving for some of these values. Yeah, no, I, you, we see it every day, right? I mean, it's happening every day, and, and it's and it's sad because we all know it. And this is what what I what you when you opened up, this is the common core values. These are things like professors like John Hyde at NYU who studied this, right, who've done many studies on patterns of behavior. And these are the five core values, that, but it's, it's, it's so simple, yet all we need to do is look in that and, and act on it, right? And, and that's where that, that, what the Dalai Lama talks about is that that's the ethical discipline. That's the, you know, you talk to military leaders, that's the physical discipline. That's the acting on it. That's cool. What would you? We've got about a minute left. What What advice would you give parents um, and uh, with our younger kids, those maybe that are just leaving, getting out there into the work world? What could we do to actually create this discipline with our kids and and make these core values a part of their life? Yeah, I mean that, that's a great question. I mean, I, my answer to a lot of this is you know we cause our own suffering, all of us. So and, and we do that by not being true to ourselves. And that's a hard thing. So I would, I would implore everybody to, and that's what this book does, is it, it really calls on people to kind of look at themselves. But I, my, the answer to that question is be true to yourself. Be really true to yourself. Ask yourself the tough questions. Have you spent five minutes or two minutes alone with yourself today? And asking yourself, were you true to yourself today? Did you act on what you believe in? Or did you let it slide? And those things, when, when we, and that two minutes turns to five minutes and ten minutes, that becomes into a heightened awareness, and that's what they call med- meditation. Yeah. It's that simple. And so I would implore everybody, if we all just did a little bit of that, I think we could contribute to the world in a greater way. Beautiful stuff. Sean Vidge, thank you so much for just the, the hope, the great insight. The book is Moral Fiber, Awakening Corporate Consciousness. Uh, five core values, folks, that all of us could 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 bring more into our lives, could actually uh, to elevate ourselves, but also the world around us. Powerful, powerful stuff. Continue the journey with us, folks. We are doing what we can to help be the good in the world, and you're part of that. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, along with Jeff and Terry, the gang. We're gathered for one purpose. To get Jeffrey out of his pajamas. It's not going to happen. One way or another. I like him. I like that onesie. The only thing that could make this better is nachos. It's always nachos with you. Hey, uh, Dr. Ron Hager will not allow the nachos. Today we're going to be uh, blowing up some food myths. The funny thing about food myths, everybody's got different things that have been drilled in their head. 
Like the food myth that nachos are bad for you? Come on. It's just a little cheese. Which has milk. Yeah. And dairy. other things. Yeah. The, uh, the corn in the tortilla chips. Mm-hmm. The jalapeno peppers. That's, I mean, those grow in the earth, right? Right. So does oil. It's formed in the earth. I wouldn't put it on my nachos. That's a good point. Thank you. Yeah, I was trying to. I was, trying, I was waiting to Thank see you. where that went. But you. you're right. I would not put that on my food. I mean, I'm not saying I don't love a little oil here and there, but mainly in my car. Any other points you want to make about your nachos? The chili has vegetarian meat in it, or it's mm. vegetarian vegetarian chili, so it's 99 percent fat free. Uh, yeah, no meat. That's not meat. That's something oh, yeah. else. Just saying. I don't want to. Dis- I don't want to discourage you. It's got beans oh, in yeah. the chili. Totally, beans are good for you. Part of Doctor Hager's yeah. topic is along the lines of, say, an apple. Mm-hmm. It has sugar in it, right? So some diets out there will tell you, eh, maybe the apple's not the best approach. Well, well but it, it's natural sugar, right? It's yeah. naturally. If a, you're going to have a sugar, that it's not the synthetic. A, an stuff. apple would probably be better than a skittle. There you go. Sugar. Well, then there's the Ooh, idea that I hate those apple skittles. By the way, you got that like they just snuck in there, <laughs> fr- like fruit leather, fruit roll ups, yeah. fruit those types of things. Probably not a good replacement for actual fruit. Well, yeah, like just because you... it has the name of apple or some fruit in it doesn't mean it's fruit. It means it's sort of. And let's be very careful too that you should be measuring your intake of fruits by the serving, not by the foot. True. The minute you measure your your fruit intake by the foot, mm. you're probably no longer having a healthy choice. How do you do that? Do you just throw a bunch of fruit inside your shoe? He is just not getting it. He's like, it's that diet program he's on, the diet, the gambling diet. Well, well, that's how I would measure a foot of fruit, just no, throw it in some, your shoe. Some fruit is measured by the foot. I so, see. Some people have vices they have to deal with. Yeah. His My- is diet gambling. His is diet gambling, and my kids roll up their fruit by the foot, and they uh, put a pinch between their cheek and gum. Or is my my and then boy, have a sugar fix? My boy's always like, "Can I just have a fruit snack instead?" And I'm like, eh. "Yeah, here's an apple, son." Fruit adjacent doesn't equal fruit. <laughs> oh, we're turning into our parents. Yes, I know. Oh, brother, uh, we'll be talking then with Dr. Ron Hager, our health evangelist. Um, uh, he really is the death preventer. And we, mm. because he will be coming into the studio, it's always fun for us to also, while he's here, bring up some other candy and foods. So we'll be discussing those as well. Uh, you know, which candy is most popular for uh, per state, by state. Speaking of parents, you said we're turning into our parents. Yeah. I got a voicemail from my daughter's school last night. Uh-oh. And the voicemail started off by saying, hey, parents. And it took me a few seconds to realize, oh, they're talking to me. Yeah. I'm, I'm the parent. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm the adult. <laughs> well, <laughs> That's a little shocking. This is, this is my daughter's first year in elementary school, so that can be, yeah, that you know, it's understood. So it's like, oh, yeah, I'm a parent. But that, you know what? But that, yeah. We, we many times are wondering, you know, if you're an adult. Mm. Because of the that. nachos? No, just the other stuff. Just the safety of your children, basically. Mm-hmm. That's all. The footsie jammy thing. Hmm. Stuff like that. The, how giddy you get when we talk about Disneyland. Stuff like that. There's little 
tiny stuff like that. So we'll be getting to that. Uh, um, also, more updates on uh, the maturation program that Jeff will be going through soon. <laughs> also, wow! Uh, I mean that in the best way possible. Right. I noticed this hair There's that started really... growing on my back. Is that normal? Yeah. Uh-huh. Totally normal. Okay. For a parent and an adult like yourself. Hmm. Mm-hmm. How did? Yeah. Anyway, we won't even go there. Uh, first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? The House's longest serving member, Representative John Conyers of Michigan, announced that he will resign today following reports that he inappropriately touched female staffers and used his taxpayer money to settle sexual harassment and wrongful dismissal complaints in 2015. This according to the uh, Detroit News. Yeah. In making his announcement, Conyers, who's 88, endorsed his son, John Conyers III, to replace him. John Conyers the third. Finish really? my term, son. Goodbye. I'm out. Well, it's, so it's like it's just it's just hand me down congressional terms. Yeah, until he has to run for office again, and we'll see what happens there. Okay. State Department warning the U.S. embassies to be on high alert this week ahead of President Donald Trump's rumored move to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. This week, the State Department reportedly sent two classified cables warning U.S. officials of potential backlash in the Middle East should Trump make the announcement the move which Trump is expected to discuss on Wednesday could set off a diplomatic powder keg in Israel and Palestine, both of which claim Jerusalem as their capital. Oh, boy. Current U.S. policy is to issue a biannual statement declining to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital, citing the risks the move could pose to U.S. security. But Trump has previously spoken in favor of backing Israel's claim to the city and moving the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. This is intense. And as it says, two classified cables, that means the deep state released this to the world. The, the deep state. The fourth state. No, the fifth state. Parties working in the government against the current administration. Yeah. It's all right. They're going to root them out. They have a plan for that, too. Well, yeah, they got to drain the swamp and all that deep state, all the deep state will just go right down the drain. It's great. Hmm. FBI Director Christopher Ray sent an email to the agency's 35,000 employees on Monday defending the FBI after the president tweeted that the agency's reputation was its worst in history on Sunday. Ray's email, a copy of which was provided to the New York Times, lauded example after example of professionalism and dedication to the justice demonstrated around the bureau. It is truly an honor to represent you, Ray said, a Trump pick. He did not name the president in the email, but FBI employees were reportedly angered after Trump's latest attack on the agency, which he accused of leading a politically motivated investigation against him. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So Uh the the same FBI that he's disparaging is the same FBI that now is looking at his Deutsche Bank records to see... The the Deutsche Bank records is actually uh, Robert Mueller. Yeah, but that's oh, that's the, oh, the Justice that's, yeah. Department. A separate that's the old investigation. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the, the old, old FBI. FBI. Yeah. Okay, so that's going on. They re- the bank received a subpoena from Robert Mueller that seeks information on certain transactions and accounts held by President Trump and his family. Uh, multiple media reports report today citing privacy laws. Deutsche Bank in June reportedly rejected a request by the U.S. House members to share details of the president's finances. The bank has loaned hundreds of millions of dollars to the Trump Organization for Real Estate Ventures. Mueller is probing Russian meddling in the 2016 election and whether Trump's campaign colluded with the Russian government. Huh. And now they're looking at the money, which is what Trump said that would mean. The investigation moved away from right. your focus. You're into my money. We're going to have to talk about this. Hmm. So maybe they'll start talking about it. Maybe we'll see a tax record. Are you... I mean, they could subpoena tax records. What are you going to do? Oh, wow. Wrong.
Okay, just checking. And finally, in honor of Dr. Ron Hager. Yeah, the health, the health, health prevent- evangelist. No, the health the, evangelist, the death preventer. The death preventer. Yes. Here are some stories that I've saved over the last week of excellent crazy food and people doing things. He they loves crazy do. food. Uh, there's a book out about the uh, Trump campaign called "Let Trump Be Trump." Corey Lewandowski and David Bossie wrote this book. It came oh, yeah. out recently. Yeah. In there, it, it has a little note about the, one of the president's favorite meals that he would get rather often when he's at Trump Tower. Oh, what? I mean, like something on like his, it would be on his gold. Uh, gold-plated, gold-plated desk. desk and, yeah. yeah. This is exciting. What, what would he the, eat there? What, I mean, some filet mignon, I'm he'd sure. He sent someone on a run to McDonald's oh. that was Chris Christie for a while. He was his designated McDonald's go-boy. Why, why Chris Christie? I, he was just, you know, he was available. Yeah. He was kind of on the outs, and so mm-hmm. I think it was kind of a punishment, hey, really. you're not doing anything, Chris. He slipped go, him a five and said, yeah. get something for yourself while you're there. Get <laughs> something for yourself. So uh, two Big Macs, two filet fish and a chocolate malt. Hold on. That would be his meal? That's lunch. <gasps> two Big Macs, two filet fish and a malt. Well, he's skipping the fries. Don't, yeah. don't gloss that's over very, that. That's a healthy choice. Uh, but he's having four sandwiches. Yeah. It's true. So uh, okay. a, a Big Mac, 540 calories and 28 grams of fat. Oh, yeah. So times two, that's 1,080 calories and 56 grams of yeah, fat. Yeah, yeah. filet fish 410 on calories, 20 grams of fat. Wow. Double that, 820 and 40 on grams. Uh-huh. And then the, the shake is 530 on calories, which is almost as much as two Big Macs. Right, so the the malt is as big as is as many calories as two Big Macs, only fifteen grams of fat in the malt. Grand now, total for the whole meal: two thousand four hundred thirty calories and yeah. eleven gram, one hundred eleven grams of fat. Now hold on, maybe he's shoving one or two of those filet fish in his pockets for later. For later. Oh, you think he's like, yeah, like haven't storage? You ever, haven't food you ever storage? pocketed a filet fish? What do you think he's a kangaroo, like trying to save something for the kids later? Well, he's going to have a pouch if he keeps eating that way. U.S. nutritional guidelines estimate the daily calories needed for a man of President yeah. Trump's age is around 200 or 2,200 yeah, calories. That's his calorie intake. If right you there. give him sort of an active category, it's 2,600 calories. The it, upper limit for a big diet, 2,000. So basically, it says you would need to walk more than three miles a day to be considered active. Well, you maybe s- he's eating you see kale. That happening? For- He's no. eating kale the rest of the day. Uh, but So his signature lunch apparently is yeah. really bad. You, you know where he should start? And Ron's already taught us this. Yeah. Don't drink your calories. Don't drink your calories. This is true. Don't drink them. So if he wants to have more calories, just get rid of the shake and maybe toss in one more Big Mac. And then there's a woman in Japan. Yeah. 32 years old. Yeah. She sat down with five burgers, three large fries, and a staggering 23 dessert pies. Why? Um, It was a challenge. And she had three large Cokes to try to wash all this food down. Did she not want to live? The challenge was she wanted to see if she could down 10,000 calories. Oh, no. Really? So she took President Trump's lunch, basically, times four. Right. And uh, when did she die? (laughs) <laughs> she has not died. Um, she it didn't? says she, despite it, she struggled slightly after her fourth hamburger, but she valiantly finished the feast. Atta girl. She she was able to do that. It's a uh, something she put on uh, YouTube. Of Ten thousand calories. She has three point six million subscribers, so she was doing that. She uh, yeah, the twelve sweet pies remaining. She used the. Uh, 
the shakes that she had. She had a McFlurry, which is kind of their did ice cream. Did she get the shakes? She dipped the pies in the <laughs> shake and uh, ate the rest of it. Holy, and, really? Um, yeah, kind of gross. So her videos, she eats anywhere between 5,000 and 23,000 calorie meals. What? Because, you know, you get YouTube hits. Oh, so so, she's, so oh, there's her, her, her meal that me she see. ate. She's tiny. Yeah, she's a small woman, so this isn't... Uh, Does it just... It, her? Her she must just be really bloated after. Yeah, probably. Um, at what point? How many calories? We'll have to ask Doctor yeah. Ron. At what point does your heart explode? Mm. Is it ten thousand calories gotta, or fifteen thousand? You think there's a limit? Because just the salt intake, we you think, a... would so mess up her yeah. heart and her body. And she's a lovely young lady, right? Just throwing back. <laughs> Four President Trump meals. Now, remember, after the fourth hamburger, she went, oh, boy, and then continued on. I think we're looking at this the wrong way. Okay. Isn't it possible that she's just trying to boost the economy? That might be. That's a great point. Maybe she's single-handedly trying to lift the Japanese economy. One pie at a time. she, she she, She really focused on the dessert part. Yes, she did. Like that was where she was going for the money. Because 21 pies or whatever. Mm. She has three and a half, 3.6 million subscribers on YouTube. So these people will literally risk their lives to get subscribers. It's her job. Yeah. She's no, it's an is, artist, yeah. Matt. Maybe this was the desire of a dead relative who had always wanted to do this. Mm. And so she's honoring their memory. Yeah. You keep trying to find a reason for it. But it's just crazy. It's was you, that your suicide. Irish coming out there? You're just trying to find a way. <laughs> No, but I think you keep trying <laughs> wow. to find a reason for this. I just like giving people the benefit of a doubt. 10,000 calories? I I like it more. I, I think the real lesson here is that um, we don't need to measure our food by calories. Mm. You can just measure it by Trump meals. Okay. So a Trump meal is 2,500 calories. Right. So she's she didn't – we don't need to worry about how many <laughs> calories she ate. She just had four Trump meals. Okay. And the average male should have uh, a little bit less than a Trump mill a day. I mean, it's, to me, it's easier to remember it that way. Don't you think? I guess. I mean, sure, the whole calorie counting thing, but just yeah. you can't have one Trump mill a day if you want to lose weight. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to the movie theaters later tonight, and I believe if I get a large buttered popcorn, that is approaching a Trump meal. Yeah, probably. Plus, uh, I thought for sure you'd bring up nachos, but you didn't. So they have nachos no, at the movie theater. Maybe I'll get some of those. What, uh, if, uh, Can I, you put nacho cheese on the popcorn? Uh, Don't they have just the pumper machine for the nacho would, cheese somewhere? I would try it. Dr. Ron just cringed. I can feel it he, from my eyes in the back <laughs> of my head. Um, do you guys play Words with Friends? Uh, occasionally, when so, my wife guilts me, yes. Sometimes I have Words with Friends. <laughs> That was funny. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll play it right now. Just so. You play it right now. Yeah. Uh, so at any given moment, there are more than 57 million people playing the game uh, Words with Friends, and they get matched up with people all around the world. It's a pretty neat thing. So if you don't have friends to play with, then you can just get matched up with somebody around the world. Sure. So listen to this. This is a true story. Over five months, uh, Spencer Slayon and Rosalind or Roz Gutman played 324 Words with Friends match games together. 
By the way, they had never met each other before. But over the 324 games, they formed a very tight bond along the way. So Slayon, who's 22 from Harlem, and Gutman, who's 81 from West Palm Beach, they were randomly matched about a year ago. And sometimes we'd speak about personal things, but nothing extra personal, Slayon told The Root. Politics, the election, hurricanes. As they became better friends, they, uh, Slayon started to ask Gutman for advice because she's, uh, she's a, an 81-year-old woman, and including whether he should leave his hometown in Maryland for New York City, where, where he wanted to become a music producer. Anyway, um, she kept telling him to reach for the stars, Slayon, reach for the stars. Anyway, they became really good friends through this Internet game. And um, now they, uh, Slayon hopped on a plane, flew down to Florida so he could have lunch with her. And they, had a, they, they met up. He said it was a really cool experience. Slayon takes the attention in stride. Uh, whatever people want to take from this story and however it makes them feel, I'm just glad. And Rosalind and I, that Rosalind and I can bring people together. That's pretty cool. That's nice. A video game. Now, uh, some of the games Terry plays, he wouldn't want to meet those people. No, not at all. That he's shooting hey, in a war environment. They go in there full knowledge of what's going to happen. Did, did, you mm. ever, did you ever have long conversations with them about You don't really talk future? to these people. Well, they're dead. You've shot them. Well, no, you'll hear them like... If you wear a headset, you know, they'll talk, but I don't have a headset, so I can just hear other uh, I'm people right talking. You. I'm going to put one right now. And back. mostly they make fun of me because they're 12 and I was 35. And I'm, okay, I'm done. I can't play these kids. Yeah, no, that actually got a future senator in trouble. That's like, yeah, Roy Moore. <laughs> you, so t- you, you chase people around a video game. He was just chasing them around a mall, allegedly. Yeah. Interesting. So um, that's a cool story. That'd be a great ad in a mall. For running shoes, mm-hmm. we've got the new Roy Moore Reeboks. Sorry, Flea Box. We'll keep you running. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great! Uh, good stuff. Lots of fun, folks. Um, up next, we will be talking about food myths with Dr. Ron Hager. Uh, we'll see if he's recovered from our last segment. Mm, I bet we just made him mad. Stick with us. This is the Mad Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. For a miracle. Welcome back, folks, to the Matt Townsend Show. That is the music that we uh, we use to bring on the great health evangelist, Dr. Ron Hager. Uh, Ron is an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences right here at Brigham Young University. Hello, Ron. Hello, Matt. How are you? The great health evangelist. The greatest, the greatest of wow. all time. Are there other kinds of health evangelists? Oh, yeah. They're everywhere. Okay. They're everywhere. They're all at the mall. I'm glad you've defined me. Yeah, they're all at the mall. <laughs> See, you used to have this really prestigious, uh, you know, academic career, and then you came on our show, and now yeah. you're just the health evangelist. Uh, you know, I'd rather be the health evangelist than than Doctor Hager. That's right. Who yeah. wouldn't? And I, you used to be called the death preventer. Yeah, so it's a step up. Yeah, yeah. That was a hard one because that's hard to live up to because some people still die. And I've never been afraid to tell people that the PH and PhD is yeah. for phony doctor. Don't tell these guys that. <laughs> okay. Because I've we've I've been trying to battle my credentials forever with them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't don't let okay. them hear that. Right. Um, so today you're going to talk to us about. Uh, some myths and some just uh, we we want to be healthy. We we hear about diets all the time, but there are some myths. People, for example, say, you know, apples have sugar in them, so uh, don't, don't eat those. Don't eat apples. Yeah. What? <laughs> Who would say don't eat an apple? Well, it, 
There is a lot of sugar in most fruits. Yeah. Uh, By the way, God made it that way. Yeah, and there's a lot of sugar, added sugar, in you know processed foods. The, the people are very frustrated now. I, I this is just what I perceive. Right. I, I'm not saying every person is frustrated by the complexity of diet information, but but I think a lot of people are, and the the tendency is to kind of stress out and throw up your hands and say, you know, I quit. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to eat whatever I feel like eating because. Every time I turn around, somebody's given me some piece of conflicting information. And you look at these diets, diet fads, basically, that yeah. come out. You have to realize that, for the most part, I, I'm pretty sure the, the people that uh, implement or create or institute these diets uh, really don't have your health uh, as their foremost priority. No. Th- yeah. There, there's another goal. Yeah. I think there is. <laughs> Probably <laughs> a monetary goal. But but the point, Matt, is I can understand people's confusion because, you know, one diet says, uh, you know, don't eat carbohydrates. Right. Uh, eat, uh, you know, meat. Right. Just for, eat for example, your, yeah, you know, like protein. A, All you do is eat yeah, meat. Yeah. And then, and then you turn around the next day and another diet says, no, 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 that's not right. Just don't eat the meat or the fat. You know, you gotta you gotta look for the the carbohydrates. Yeah. You know, I, Try the juice, just the juice, and the only of, juice and sugar. Yeah, yeah. And most of these diets have uh, some kind of exclusionary criteria, right? It's like you know they 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 label something as bad and tell you to avoid it. And and what kind of a way you know to live your life is that? You yeah. know, to I mean, why not look for the good? I mean, that's a familiar phrase I mean, around here, right? So, yeah, look for the good. Yeah. See the good. Be the good. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of good out there. Um, in my experience, I've I, I've kind of seen that every diet has at least two things in common. Okay. Uh, a reduction in the number of calories that are eaten. And we do have an overconsumption problem yeah. in, our, in our country, in our world. Uh, and there's plenty of evidence to show that. We, we consume, uh, you know, about five to 700 calories a day more now than we did in the 1970s. Wow! In the in the United States per capita, um, you know, we I just heard your conversation about you know, well, you know, if you take in so many calories, you know, do you spend the time in activity, making sure you're, you know, compensating for those? Yeah. You know, most people don't. So if anything, I mean, even if our activity levels have remained the same since the 1970s, we're still consuming more more. Well, and and by the way, did you hear the so the story, the woman that consumed ten thousand calories for for downtime and fun? People now go to YouTube to watch people overconsume. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's yeah. almost it's there's something about it like voyeuristic, like yeah, yeah keep eating those hamburgers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is kind of interesting. Well, the, the other thing that I think most diets have in common is a lot of media hype. Yeah, too, huh? Yeah, and you know it's it's promoted on television shows. It's promoted in uh, at all kinds of advertising, uh, with all kinds of people who are considered to be experts. Some are actually, you know, doctors or physicians. Others, you know, claim that uh, clinical research, you know, has yeah. proven. But, but, but they never actually give the source of the, you know, the clinical research or, or, or you know, uh, independent laboratories in Sweden have <laughs> discovered. You know, right? <laughs> so, Some like random, yeah. So a lot of media hype, um, and so you know, most people that I've met who have tried diets repeatedly, I always remember a quote from Irma Bombeck. She said something like, uh, 
uh, I've lost 785 pounds. You know, and I, 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 she said, I've been on a constant diet for the last 20 years. I've lost 785 pounds. I should be hanging from a charm bracelet. <laughs> you know, so her point was, you know, that she's gone on a diet and then she's gone off a diet. Yeah. She's gone on a diet and off a diet. And many of these diets are not realistic. They're not something that a person can maintain. Right. And most people fight themselves over these diets because they're so restrictive in one way or another. I mean, right. how, how does a person live without getting any carbohydrates in their diet? Yeah. You know, how does a person live if all they eat is fat and protein? It's it's funny because like even with Jeff, he doesn't even he he's on a program that's motivating him to stay healthy. Right. He's not on a diet. It's not okay, right. he, he doesn't want it's not a plan. It's a it's more of a method of motivating. A, an approach. Yeah. A, yeah, a lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, so so like Irma Bombeck, most people try these diets usually out of some sense of desperation or uh, or a quick fix. You know, that's kind of the mindset of society today: is instant gratification, quick fix. Yeah, uh, you know, path of least resistance. And uh, and and believe it or not, to me, it seems kind of crazy that you know people want to buy a diet program as if there's some magic in it. (laughs) I mean. Where what's wrong with just all the real food that is around you every day? And that's kind of a point that I want to make. Um, uh, Natalie Thompson is a nutrition writer for USA Today, and she had some great uh, common sense kinds of guidelines. Uh, her first one is to eat real food. And, of course, the question becomes, well, what's real food? Yeah, really. Right? What's and, real? And, and she gives some really awesome examples. She says real food is anything coming directly from a plant or an animal unchanged in any way. So that means unprocessed or um, ideally processed by no more than three steps from its original form. Hmm. Okay, and then she gives a great example because, you know, somebody might still be thinking, okay, well, I still don't know what real food is. So she takes an apple, right? Uh, real food in terms of an apple, which is whole unprocessed food, is the actual fresh apple <laughs> that's been, you know, ripened on the tree, it's in season with the skin on, and you just eat it. That's that's real food. That's the, okay, so let me ask you this. So if you go to a, a restaurant, a fast food restaurant, and that apple has been dipped in a preservative so it doesn't brown, is sliced, and is put in a bag, is that a real fruit? Well, it, it's at least one step away from yeah. the real fruit, from the real food. So... You know, I, I like her guidelines. You know, she do, she doesn't say you just have to eat real food because you know another example that she gives is pork. You know, so the real pork would be whole unprocessed food like like pig meat, yeah. pig, pig loin. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say you know to be healthy you need to go around and eat raw pig meat. Yeah, I mean a lot of people would just say that'll kill you. Yeah, so 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 it's okay you know for some level I guess of processing, but like grill it. But but if you get into these foods that have, you know, the other day in, in my chronic disease class, we were talking a little bit about this, and I pulled out a uh, a wrapper from a from the garbage can uh, from a from cherry pop tarts, mm. and I I said, how many ingredients do you think are in these cherry pop tarts? And of course, on the front of the package, it says, you know, uh, uh, natural ingredients made with real cherries, naturally flavored, you know, all this kind of stuff. But uh, if you if you count all the sub-ingredients that are contained in parentheses is just a single ingredient, 37 ingredients to make a Pop-Tart. in these cherry Pop-Tarts. 
So, <laughs> so to me, that's a highly processed food. So, so one step of processing would be might might be like what you said: a sliced apple without the skin. Uh, two steps would be, you know, where you take those apples uh, and you boil them or or cook them in some way and make homemade applesauce. Yeah, you know, and of course the skin comes off. You know, so that's that's two steps of yeah. processing. And then, and then, too many steps would be like the fruit leather that you buy in a store, <laughs> right? Or the, or the, uh, what are the little packages with the little fruit uh, nuggets in? Yeah, them, like you know? the fruit uh, by the or uh, fruit. What are they called? Fruit roll-ups, fruit snacks. Yeah, fruit snacks. Yeah, yeah, super highly processed. So those those I mean, kinds it, of it, things. I mean, I mean, they have added sugar, they have added color, they have other ingredients. It would be better to just hand your kid an apple slice, right? Right, and of course, the kid's probably going to have a complete meltdown because they've been, you know, they 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 know the difference between a real apple and a fake apple, and and the the fake apple has been designed to taste right. better, yeah, supposedly, right, 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 yeah. So so I love I love her kind of it's common a great, sense approach. It's great advice to 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 ask yourself as you're sticking food in your mouth: Is this even real food? Another friend of mine who's a physician, he says the food that we're meant to eat is food that you either pick off of a tree or a plant or dig out of the ground or knock over the head and kill it, <laughs> right? The, yeah. That, that's the food you were designed to eat. Not the one that you have to, you know, buy at a Costco, bring in a box, yeah. open up the box, so, so open it, up the wrapper. So I think asking yourself regularly, at least until it kind of becomes a pattern for you, you know, just stop and say, is this real food? That's a great. I mean, it really, that's that's as probably basic as you can get. Yeah. Now, and and then then the issue becomes, and I see this all the time too. People say, you know, taste, cost, and convenience are the real kind of key drivers behind what people eat. Taste is is the number one factor. Hmm. Okay. So even if something's convenient, if it doesn't taste good, people yeah. aren't going to eat it. That's why people aren't. You know, broccoli's not everywhere. Right. Right. Exactly. And you don't see a lot of, uh, you know, billboards about broccoli right. or or you know commercials on on early morning Saturday TV or something. You know, trying to tempt all the kids to, to talk their parents into buying broccoli. Right. But 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 this cost issue. I hear this excuse all the time. It costs too much to eat healthy. Yeah. Right. And and there has been actual research that's been conducted to show that depending on how you price your food, uh, and it's typically by how much you spend per calorie, in that particular case, healthy food is more expensive because healthy food generally is not very calorically dense. Yeah. Right? So it doesn't have a lot of calories, the healthy food. You know, you can eat two strips of fruit leather and, and consume have... the same number of calories as eating a whole apple. Yeah. So, right. so, so, it, what I guess de- it depends on is if are you are you evaluating the calorie per penny, right? Or are you evaluating evaluating the um, the density, the weight per right. penny? Right. So every every packaged food tells you how many grams are in a serving. Right. Right. So that's easy information, you know, to extract from the food you're eating if it comes in a package. Now, I brought with me today this picture. Uh, and I know this is a radio Picture's show. Picture's hard for radio. Yeah, but... it's, it's hard for radio. But but the point is, on th- there's a plate here. And on this plate, about half of it is covered with broccoli. And maybe uh, a third of it is covered with strawberries. You know, more, now, if you looked at the broccoli, yeah. Matt, I mean, is, is that one serving to you? No, that's like 
two, three servings yeah. of broccoli, yeah. you know, for the average person. But the fruit and vegetable is two-thirds of this plate. Yeah, and then there's then there's a little pile of M&Ms. Like a little handful. A little handful of chips. Maybe like a small bag of chips. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe half. And then a little bit over, uh, or a little bit under two slices of bread. Now, everything on that plate is 100 calories. Interesting. So 100 calories of broccoli would be three servings worth of broccoli. And but 100, 100 calories of M&Ms would leave you frustrated because they under-delivered. Yeah, yeah because where, where are the rest of my M&Ms? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And, and, so, and so if you look at it, you say, well, I can't afford broccoli. Yeah, broccoli's... But I can't afford M&Ms because you're looking at maybe you know, 25 cents worth of M&Ms and $2.50 but, worth but of broccoli. 25 cents will give you 200 calories or whatever, 300... Oh, that's a, yeah, that's 100, that's, that's calories 100 calories for a nickel, or you can get... Uh, 100 calories of broccoli, which, by the way, would feed the family for a week. Yeah. So it's, it is a, it's an interesting – it's an important part of this. It, you have to, you should probably be evaluating it also by the weight. I mean how much you'd have to eat to be healthy. Right. Well, tell me, what, tell me which on that plate, if you were to consume, is going to fill you up the most. Oh, the broccoli. I mean you'd be lucky if you could eat it all. Or just the strawberries. And yeah. that would be – Great. Yeah. Those chips, if you ate those chips and you were very yeah. hungry, you'd want more. Would, would you say, well, I'm done? No, you'd say, hey, yeah. I've had my sample. Where's the rest of the bag? You eat the broccoli, you're done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're done. You're full. Yeah. So, anyway, it's, so this, I, so I, I'm just trying to debunk this myth that healthy eating is more expensive. Right. You know, I'm not saying that healthy foods don't cost money. Yeah. They do, but there's all kinds of things you can do. First of all, Try and consider it according to different pricing metrics, you know, right. by, by volume versus by calorie or something like that. And what, yeah, what, by meal, even what it would actually or, yeah. take you to make a meal. Yeah. And, and also maybe look at it as an investment, right. right? I mean, even if you have to say, hey, I'm going to spend a little more money on healthy food, but it may prevent a $150,000 heart attack treatment in 20 years. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's lots of ways to, to say, you know, to, to justify eating healthy. No, absolutely. And- of course, if you want to, there's plenty of ways to justify eating unhealthy. Yeah. You just have to decide. And I guess as far as flavor goes, the myth that it doesn't taste as good, some of that is just conditioning. Some of it's conditioning. There's no question that, you know, your brain has been hijacked by by highly processed foods. All that sugar, all the other stuff well, they put the, in the, there The to salt, keep you... the sugar, the fat. Yeah. It's all very... Calculated, very well researched, right? And it's designed to be addictive. And well, what I have found too, though, when I work with people on this, is sure if they go to a healthy eating plan, their meals taste kind of bland. Yeah, uh, you know, they want to add salt or whatever. But it, look, this is going to take work. You know, you're going to have to be creative. You're going to have to experiment. You're going to have some failures. You're going to have some successes in the kitchen, for example. And you're going to have to try and find out, find out what's going to work for you. But in the end, you can become what I like to say is kind of resensitized to healthy foods. Yeah, you know, and then and then the next time you eat some chips or M and M's, they taste excessively sweet or excessively salty yeah. because you've you've kind of pulled back off this hijacked brain that you yeah. have. That's what I'm getting to. I, I can't tell if it's because I'm aging or because I've changed my diet, but certain stuff is just too sweet. Yeah, it's just too sweet. Like, yeah, I can't drink a regular Coke. Yeah, it makes me sick. Yeah, isn't that wild? Like, but I guess part of it is uh, the neat thing about being a human is you can change, right? We can adapt. Yeah, 
And we should. Probably. Yeah. And, and, and we don't need to adapt to our toxic environment. Yeah. You know, we, we, we can be in it, but not of it, so to speak. Right. So we, we look, health takes work. Yeah. You know, it's, you don't buy it in a bag or a bottle or a, or a pill or a supplement. That's not where your health originates. Health requires work. And pretty much every good thing in your life Will. takes effort and work. That's a great point. So live up to it. See, that's why you're the health evangelist right there, (laughs) because you're keeping us healthy. Dr. Ron Hager is his name, again, an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences right here at BYU. Thanks again, Ron. You're welcome. Keep it up. Keep it up. Helping us blow up the, uh, the, the myths about your food and your eating habits. We'll continue learning from him throughout the rest of the month as well, trying to get through the holiday season in a healthy way. Up next, our good friends from BYU Sports Nation will be joining us. We're going to uh, find out, uh, you know, what's, uh, what's happening on their show at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, it's time to go down and visit our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. We're going to check in and find out what will be up on their show in just a few minutes. Hello, Spencer and Jerem. What's up, Matt? How yeah. you doing? How you Solid. Know. Solid as a rock. Solid as a rock. Ooh. That's where love is. Nice pull. Thank you. Hey, uh, I was wondering, guys, I don't know if you um, have ever heard of a guy named LeVar Ball. Oh, boy. <laughs> What? You want to start this conversation? I don't, I don't want to talk about him. No, I don't we're talking. Give him any time. We're talking about the Lavar Ball rule. Did you hear about this? Los Angeles Lakers are going to enforce the Lavar Ball rule, which means that he can't be interviewed in in a section of Staples Center where guests of players and parents uh, gather after the game. So no wow. one's allowed to go to that part of the Laker arena and interview people there. So he has to, I apparently, I guess, take it off the court and uh, be interviewed outside of, I guess, the arena. He's being brandished. He's being brandished. So I'm wondering <laughs> if you've ever, if you've ever needed a rule, uh, you know, or if they've ever had like a, a Spencer Linton rule where they they made you leave the court so you couldn't say things against the Lakers. No, exactly the, the opposite, where you can't start the party or the really important yes. without. Because they need you there to party. Yeah, yeah. But it's because he talks negatively about his the Lakers, right? They don't yes. want you getting branding from... Well, it's all about him. He's one of the most selfish people I've yeah. ever encountered. Hey, you know what? Trump said the same thing. Trump saved his kids' Speaking lives. Speaking of selfish people. Yeah. Hey, um, so... You want to hear some jokes about LeVar Ball? Yeah, do you have some? Yes, courtesy our friends at Old Takes Exposed. Okay, great. Okay. LeVar slash LiAngelo Ball jokes. Number one. <laughs> LiAngelo Ball's final UCLA career stats. Zero minutes, one steal. <laughs> that was in an exhibition game. <laughs> China or something. Yeah. That's good. Okay. That's yeah. good. One st- well, multiple steals. One steal. Multiple steals. Okay. That was three. Number two. Big Baylor brand. <laughs> okay. LeVar took his ball and went home. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> live look at Steve Alford with gif of someone celebrating. Joey <laughs> fans don't like Steve Alford. <laughs> yeah. Former New Mexico coach. Said uh, some inappropriate words to Jonathan Tavernari in the line. Mm. Yeah, I remember that. What's he going to do, though? Like, if he's unhappy with the Lakers, is he going to just go ahead and take his I mean, other son away from the Lakers? I don't care what LeVar Ball thinks about anything. Well, at what point do you, do you just tell your dad to leave? 
Well, Lonzo, I actually feel bad for Lonzo. Yeah. He seems like a... He's mostly quiet and works hard. What has he done to annoy anybody? Lonzo. Right, nothing. Nothing. But he can't get his dad to be quiet. It's his, it's his verbose, yeah, yeah, no, over it's... his britches dad, mm-hmm. which I don't like giving him time of day. And no, we are giving him time. Of day. Now we're not I anymore. By like the way, yeah, we're making fun of him. You did so just win. You just you did just win. Um, he's won the war. We're talking about him. No, he's, no, no. But Jeremy, you just won a plate set because you just used the word britches in um, in one of our segments. So uh, we will be plate giving set. you. I need that. We have not uh, had the word britches used for a long time on the show. I think since 1968. Um, uh, Now, you guys are still going to do your show today. Of course. Um, Anything anything big going on? Any any news? Let's see. Anything going on, Jeremy? Nope. So maybe we shouldn't do the show. Okay. Anyway, we gave you a shot. So. Yeah. How about we start with. The Wheel of Coordinators. Remember the spinning wheel fun that we had? Yes, not that too was long ago, so Matt? fun. Yeah. We're doing it again today. Excellent. 14 candidates for the BYU offensive coordinator position. Ooh. We will discuss all of them and how viable they all are. Yeah. No, that's, I think, I think there's, because there's a lot of hype, right? Uh, uh, Andy Reid, I think that's really neat that he's coming. Boy. I think that'll be a great addition. Have you been you, need, cougar board you need to watch the show, Matt. <laughs> like, you specifically need to watch this you show. You know what? I know. Yeah. 15 oh, yard penalty. He called you, me on Matt. a penalty yeah. there. Yeah. Darn it. We'll talk to Blaine Fowler. He'll uh, discuss what has his attention more right now men's hoops coming off two big wins and uh, two important games this week. Or who will be the new OC? What has more of his attention? Oh, that's good. Andy Reid, for sure. Oh, my goodness. Kay. Andy Reid, get out of here. Yeah, whatever. Daryl Bevel. No. <laughs> We're not getting some NFL OC to come in here. Oh, sure. Or a head coach, for that matter. <laughs> oh. Midseason, uh, Andy Reid's going to check out leaving the, the Kansas City Chiefs to come be the BYU offensive coordinator. Losing to the Jets was too much Sunday. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, there, there are some people out there that – Honestly, well, do believe. We, we do they really? Well, no. If the Chiefs don't make the playoffs, then he's probably well, done there and maybe. will probably want to come back to BYU to resurrect Lavelle's yeah. program. Well, yeah, uh, like, yeah. it's not the same, man. Like, he can take it back. <laughs> he's got As enough. An OC? He's got what? enough money, Jerem. Um, it's not about the money, you guys. It's a sacrifice for the kingdom, Spencer. Oh, my <laughs> No, no. He's not no. going to be the offensive coordinator. Okay. Then Steve Young will, I'm sure. <laughs> Once upon a time, Andy Reid was a legit candidate to replace Lavelle Edwards as head coach. Yeah. At that time, he was rising. He got he got really big with the Eagles, and he won like five, you know, or got to five NFC Championship games. And that was the window, and it closed. It's over. That window done shut. Yeah. You know what? So Steve, we'll, we'll just Steve get the Young, realistic candidates. Steve today. Young just saw what happened to Ty Detmer, and he will never. Oh. Not Ever going near coach that. at BYU. Never. Steve Young is too rich to work here. Yeah. That's what they said about you, isn't it? Absolutely and not. And you're still here. Yeah. Absolutely not. You can't get This enough. internship has been the best 12-year experience. I know, seriously. Life. Someday they're going to pay you, though, Jerem. Seriously. You're going to be loving it. i be here. That doesn't matter. Yeah, right now you get free tickets to all the volleyball games. Uh, I have to work those. But yeah. Oh, that's right. Not so I free, get to work those. I love it. Anything else on the show that we have just got to be geared up for? Um, guys, no, we did bury the lead. We told you. Yeah, are you, are you guys going to do voice? Are you going to do any voiceovers? Are you going to do any funny songs or anything? 
Any well, dance we just moves? have to watch the show for that. We're going to yeah. spin that wheel. That's always fun. Pretty much every show that we do will have some sort of spontaneous song and dance. I know. That's, okay. that's and a, dance? Yeah. That's what we Whether love about it. you see the dance or not, mm-hmm. oh. well, that's up to the camera. Uh, and if it's on us at Lauren time. will dance. And Lauren be careful. Will dance. Lauren will dances. dance today. Constantly dancing. You guys be careful because uh, remember last time you spun that wheel, you got your tie caught in it. And that was embarrassing. Remember, um, we're going to let him go, but... Uh, Dad, remember, Jerem almost lost his head. <sighs> You're not going to want to miss the show, folks. It's about four minutes away. BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem, the gang's all here. And right now, just so you know, they are, they're, I guarantee you, they're doing some push-ups. Pumping up. They like to pump up their arms. So those veins are just popping. Hey, uh, a little hero story for you. As you know, we love to give you hero stories. Just hold up the good in the world. And our hero today, uh, Kerry Magro, is the Santa Claus he wishes he could have met as a child. Magro, 29, has autism. And it was hard for him to visit uh, Santa at the mall when he was a kid. I dealt with a lot of sensory challenges, so giant malls were never really an option for me, he told the Huffington Post. Now an author, an activist, and a motivational speaker, Magro runs a nonprofit called KFM Making a Difference. For the past three Decembers, Magro has donned a Santa suit and met with kids who need to have a sensory-friendly visit with St. Nick. Parents sign up their kids for a 30-minute session with eight children allowed at a time. The lights and music are turned down, and there are occupational speech uh, and physical therapists on hand to help any kids who might need extra support. Since starting the program three years ago, Magro estimates he's worked with 500 kids with everything from autism to hyperactivity disorder, and he's doing it again December 9th and 10th in New Jersey, New Jersey, New Jer- or Jersey City, New Jersey. And we, uh, we don't want them to feel rushed, he said. We want them to not feel overloaded. We just want to make a labor of love. How cool is that? So Kerry Magro is the hero of the day. He's also Santa Claus. If you're in Jersey City, you can take your child there and uh, and make it a really safe uh, place for them to meet with Santa. And that's, my friends, what makes a hero. Just somebody that's willing to step up, make a difference, give their time, their attention, their gifts. And really, that's every one of us. At some point in our lives, we can do that. And my friends, that's the show. We are done. We'll be back again tomorrow. Uh, again, you can find us on TuneIn, on iTunes. Go look us up at BYURadio.org. We're everywhere. And we'll be back again tomorrow to help you be the good in the world. BYU Sports Nation is straight ahead.